The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's up, Bill's Mafia? Merry Christmas Eve, as I like to say at this time of the year, as it is that time again, about to be one of the best nights of the year, best days of the year, if you're a big football fan like us, as the tampering period gets going tomorrow at 12 p.m. Eastern time, as a new league year is ready to go Wednesday at 4 p.m. Good evening, everyone. This is Kevin Syracuse alongside Zach Vaughn, and we are... The BF Writers Club here on Buffalo Fanatics. So happy to be here with you tonight as we have a jam-packed show planned out for you as there is a lot to get to and a lot to predict here. And Zach, I am very, very excited. I am too. It had a lot of fun putting this stuff together, prepping it, and I can't wait to share it with you all. So like I said, this is essentially... Christmas Eve for football fans. If you are that invested in it like we are, this is one of those nights where you might lose a little bit of sleep thinking about what Big Baller Bean is doing. And look look at the shirt that I got here. You might not be able to see because of the tag. Big Baller Bean, baby. Which you can buy on the Buffalo Fanatics website if you want to get one yourself. Had to throw the sweatshirt on under it because, you know, a little chilly. Might be chilly. But nonetheless... Man, I'm pumped to see what Big Baller Bean is going to do because, Zach, here's the thing. This is probably the first year since Brandon Bean got here where we really don't know what's going to happen because every year the Bills have been progressing and you can kind of predict what's going to happen. Back in 2020, you say, okay, Josh Allen needs a wide receiver one. Boom, you go out and get Stephon Diggs. Then a couple years later, you say, okay, now we got to get Patrick Mahomes and the other quarterbacks on the ground. Boom, you go get Von Miller. But now... We really don't know what's going to happen. And that's why this is so interesting here, because there are just so many question marks. And I don't want to say holes, but the big question is, what is going to happen with Tremaine Edmonds and then Jordan Poyer as well? And there's another defensive lineman who we're going to get to where you could be looking at three holes on the defense and the defensive coordinator is not there as well. Yeah, exactly. Like this year... We knew that the Bills are going to lose a lot of players. There's going to be a lot of turnover, especially the significant ones on the coaching staff, getting a new defensive coordinator, though he's an old court, old defensive coordinator, basically. It's Sean McDermott. He's just stepping in himself, most likely. And you got a new receivers coach, got a new safeties coach, got a new senior assistant that could very well take the place of a defensive coordinator in all but name. And... Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the how the team changes, how the schemes change going year to year. Yeah, because like I said, they could be looking at three big holes on the defense, at least two, but like I said, maybe three. But then on the offensive side, there really aren't any holes, but there's a lot of patchwork to do, starting with the offensive line. Yep, because according to... If you ask anyone on social media, the Bills either had 
a terrible offensive line or medium middle of the pack offensive line, which translation is terrible because it's not a top 10 offensive line. But yeah, I mean, it does need work. Like Roger Saffold, everyone thought he was going to be the plug and play guy. He evidently was not the answer at guard. So now lo and behold, we're back in this situation. Uh, Spencer Brown, I could forgive him a little bit because he didn't have a full off season. I think he had back surgery in OTAs or late in the off season. So he may not have had the full time to get adjusted or whatever, even though we all know he's terrible in pass protection anyways. Hopefully he improves in that. Hopefully the Bills make a move to address that position, get him a little help and a little competition, make him earn his starting spot this year. Well, before we get into what the Bills could do in less than 24 hours, I can't do my math that fast. What is that? We're 16 hours away from tampering period, 15 hours, something like that. Either way, we're getting close. So that's the basis of the show tonight here. We're obviously going to talk about what the Bills could do, what Big Baller Bean can do in just a few hours and into the week here once the new league year starts. But first, the Bills have to clear some money, and they started by doing that today. And I want to start the show by talking about what Brandon Bean did today and what other moves that we could see coming up before the Bills could make these moves. Because let me preface this by saying, all the moves that Zach and I made and Bryce, who will be coming on in a little bit with us, these are all based on the article that I wrote at the beginning of the week saying how the Bills can clear over $50 million in cap space. So we don't know exactly what's going to go on, but we just made these predictions. We tried to put our GM caps on and say, okay, if we have X amount of money, who are the players that we can sign? And, you know, I, I see people in the comments already talking about DeAndre Hopkins, and I haven't seen this yet, but Derrick Henry, Odell, all the big stars. So, again, I'll preface this by saying it might not be the spiciest list, but Brandon Bean has said that himself. It's not going to be that spicy of an offseason. We're not going to have a Von Miller signed. I know he said that last year. He said, don't expect anything big. And then you get arguably the biggest fish out in the sea. But I think really this year, looking at the cap situation and just the Bills roster as a whole, I think he's being pretty honest when he says, we're not going to do anything that big this year. Yeah, I would like to believe that too. But part of me keeps saying, there's a voice in my head that keeps saying, it's the off season. It's the season of lying. The off season is when all the smoke screens come out. It's when people talk, say one thing and then do the other. Like you said, last off season, Brandon Bean said, we're not going to make any big splashes. And then Von Miller came out of the woodwork. Obviously that was different. They had cap space heading into free agency. So <laughs> as of right now, I also wouldn't really anticipate a big splash, but I do think the bills will be more active than many would want to think. All right, well, let's get into it here because, like I said, we have a jam-packed show tonight, a lot of free agents to get to as we are trying to put our hats on and our heads together here to see what the Bills could be doing this week. But I want to go back to that article that I wrote. My days are confused here. Do you remember what day it came out? Was it Tuesday? Tuesday, right? Because I did Tuesday, Thursday this week? Yes, so, you did. Okay, going back to Tuesday, I wrote an article saying how the Bills can save over $50 million in cap space. Now, before we get into all of the predictions, let's talk about what we know, and that is Matt Milano got extended today, keeping him in Buffalo through the 2026 season 
and that saves over six million dollars in cap space and i will say this at the same time the bills also restructure tim settles contract so those are the two moves that we know of for now which saves the bills almost seven million dollars in cap space and that's a big help. I mean, to be honest, if you had asked me one of the first moves that I would have seen from Brandon Bean, I didn't think it would be a Matt Milano extension. But obviously, Matt Milano is an important piece of the defense, and I think everyone is just about thrilled that they did it. And obviously, you save six mil on the cap for this year, which is great. That puts us even closer to getting over it. And we're just expecting a couple of other moves to happen between now and Wednesday, which will probably happen. And most likely it'll happen once I go to work tomorrow. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, good thing I'm off tomorrow. I, I will just be doing this all day, tracking everything, writing articles, editing articles, all the above. Maybe we'll fire up the Twitter spaces again because it'll be hot tomorrow. But let me go back to the beginning of the article. Because I was estimating that the Bills had about $15 million in cap space. Because Track had them at about 19, over the cap 18, somewhere. It, the numbers were fluctuating. And then Field Yates came out with a tweet, I believe on Monday, where he said the NFL has finalized its year-end club adjustments, which factor in incentives, roster bonuses, carryover cap space, etc. That figure was then added or subtracted from $224.8 million to determine each team's adjusted cap number for 2023. So the Bills gained about $3 million from that. So they were somewhere between 18 and 19. So we just said they have roughly $15 million in cap space. That was when I started writing the article. Now factor in roughly 6.6 .6 from the two deals that we saw today. And the Bills have somewhere, according to our estimations, eight to nine million dollars. Well, they are over the cap by eight or nine million dollars. Now, I'm sure there are a lot of moves that are coming, or maybe they already have come. They just haven't been announced yet. But according to our estimations, the Bills are eight to nine million dollars over the cap as we speak. Yeah, that that sounds about right. And obviously, the big the big restructures haven't happened yet. Most likely Josh and Vaughn Miller, maybe Stefan Diggs too. Some of the bigger name guys whose contracts are expected to be restructured. And once that happens, we're officially off and running, have the fun bucks ready, and we can go spending. So the four main ways that the Bills can save money ahead of the new league year are, as we saw today, extensions, restructures, cap casualties, and trades and that is an interesting topic that we will get to first of all we'll start with the extensions we talked about the milano deal where he is under contract through the 2026 season now someone that we talked about last week zach i want to bring him up here again because i thought this was the most logical one i probably had him above milano here in terms of who to extend because he was going to be a free agent next year milano had two years left on his deal but this is daquan jones now, if the Bills were to extend him, they could keep him here for another year. Now, these are based on over the cap. So he would be here through the 2025 season, and that would lower his cap hit this year, and that would save about $4.5 for the Bills. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense, too, because Daquan Jones was the second best player on the defensive line after Vaughn Miller. He was the best. And then when Vaughn Miller went down, he was the best player on the defensive line. And 
you want to be able to keep him under contract at least for the next couple years. So if you can find a way to keep him here for an extra year, keep his presence on the defensive line, and also lower his cap this year, you got to do it. So I would expect that to be one of the moves that happens in the next couple days. And did you know he's from the Binghamton area? I did not until he signed here, but that's also pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that last year around this time. My friend, I went to school with her at Fredonia State, and she was working for a TV station out in Binghamton. And she was like, oh, I got to cover this NFL defensive lineman today. And I was like, who's this? Daquan Jones. And I I Googled him and said he's from, I think it was, I can't remember the exact city, but it was from the Binghamton area. And I thought to myself, I had a free agency. Wouldn't that be funny if the Bills tried to kind of bring him home? You know, it's not really home, but it's a lot closer than Carolina or Tennessee. And a couple of weeks later, Daquan Jones is a Buffalo Bill. And I was like, wow, that's kind of funny how my friend manifested that. (laughs) But yeah, so he's from Binghamton. And it seems like he loves being here in Buffalo. He's been very active on Twitter. And like you said, he was one of the best defensive linemen for the Bills last year. And a big reason why the Bills finished fifth in run defense. And he doesn't have a lot of the big numbers and the big stats, but it's someone like Daquan Jones who has that big body who can fill those gaps and allow the other defensive linemen to really play the way they're supposed to. And... Tremaine Edmonds, who is going to be a hot topic on tonight's show. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting because Edmonds, Poyer, they're the top two high-profile guys, and whether or not the Bills can bring one of them back or both of them back, we don't know. We won't know until the Bills free up some cap space and we hit Monday afternoon. All right, so... Now that we talked about the extensions, let's go to the next one here. Restructures. Now, the two biggest glaring ones here are Josh Allen and Von Miller. And I've been hearing some rumblings that these are already completed. They just haven't been announced yet. So I would assume that the Bills would want to get these done first because you could save the most money. I mean, they're saving about $33 million if they do these, where basically you can convert Josh Allen's base salary into a signing bonus Von Miller's roster bonus into a signing bonus and just would save 21.5 million. Von's would save 10.9. I mean, if you can do it, you got to do it. (laughs) It's as simple as that. Yeah. And, and Josh, I would think when they constructed his contract at first, they probably built it into where they said, all right, we're going to have to move some money around here and there. So be, be ready to adjust your contract here to help the team. And Josh is really not ideal. And same with Von Miller. He's been going around saying that he wants to be a future NFL general manager, and he's been shadowing Brandon Bean this offseason. So even if he didn't have that much of a potential savings towards a cap, I would think that Von Miller would just be in the office trying to get something done just to get a feel for it to see – what it's like to restructure deals and to go into the offseason saying, hey, how can we move this money around to go sign this player? Or how can we go get that player or trade for this player? Yeah, that was interesting. I didn't even real, realize until like about a week or two ago that Vaughn Miller had said he wanted to potentially be a GM someday. So it'd be kind of cool to see if he does end up going into the office with being 
maybe partly first off being for his own restructure or renegotiation or whatever. And then also maybe if he just happens to shadow someone for a day or something going forward. But yeah, going back to Von Miller again, if you can save 10.9 million by converting his roster bonus, that's just one of the easy, easy decisions you can make. Now, like I said in the article, in 2023, Josh Allen has a cap hit of $39.8 million. This accounts for, ironically enough, over 17% of the team's cap. He has a base salary of 27.5. So they can convert that base salary into a signing bonus, freeing up over $21.5 million. And for Von Miller, he is almost 34 years old. He is entering year two of a six-year, $120 million deal. But don't forget he has that opt-out after year three. Now, in terms of this year, he has a cap hit of 18.6 million. His base salary is only 1.3 million this year, but he has that roster bonus of 13.5. So that's why I was saying that the Bills could convert that roster bonus into a signing bonus and save almost $11 million. So I think those two deals are pretty much, I don't want to say they're already done because I don't know officially, but if I'm Brandon Bean, those are my first two moves that I'm trying to trying to accomplish here, aside from the Matt Milano and, and Tim Settle deals. Exactly. I think that those are the two big ones that everyone's been waiting to see because that would signal that the Bills would be officially under the cap and be able to have some wiggle room for free agency. Though, again, the important thing is they get whatever restructures they need done by Wednesday afternoon when the league year officially begins. Now, in terms of some in terms of some other deals and moves that we could see, I'm gonna save the third guy on my list here because this is gonna involve a little bit more <laughs> of a discussion here. But in terms of the restructures, Deion Dawkins, you can restructure him and save six point four million. You could restructure Naheem Hines and save one point nine. And those are the moves that I went with. That's where I stopped in the article, where that was my last restructure with Naeem Hines. But I put at the end of the article, you can also restructure Trey White if you want and save 5.9. You can restructure Diggs and save 5.6. And you can restructure Mitch Morris and save 3.4. So a lot of moves that the Bills can make here where you look at that and say, oh, the Bills are over the cap. But if you do all those moves, they could easily have 50, 60, maybe even $70 million in cap space. And then you would hear the classic phrase, the cap isn't real. <laughs> yep the cap is not real <laughs> there's always money in the banana stand i mean it's a lot of a lot of number crunching and gymnastics that we can't really do on our basic calculator but brandon bean's good at so yeah i mean naheem hines it would make a lot of sense to restructure him and just or at least try to restructure first before doing anything like cutting him because he is a great return man and he's the best guy we've had since Andre Roberts. And I think I'd much rather at the very least keep him at a reduced cap charge and keep seeing him return kicks than just have to cut him outright, even though you would save more money just cutting him outright. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that's the third thing on the list here of four that the Bills can do cap casualties. Now, there really aren't that many guys who are up for cap casualties because last year we saw guys like Daryl Williams, John Feliciano, older veterans like that where you could say, okay, you 
Actually, AJ Klein was too, I believe. So those kind of players, you say, okay, you're on the wrong side of your prime, absorbing a lot of money, taking up a big cap hit. We're going to release you. You're free to sign with whoever you want, and we're going to save money and go younger. But the Bills really did that last year. And even though they brought back some of those guys like AJ Klein, he's a free agent. So there really aren't too many players who are up for a cap casualty. But like you said, Naheem Hines could be one of those guys. Isaiah McKenzie, I'll throw him in there because I think those two guys are interesting because I've seen some people saying that the Bills could move on from them and save with Hines 4.8, McKenzie 2.2. But I still see roles for both of these guys on the team. Now, starting with Hines, they acquired him back in November. They gave up Zach Moss on a draft pick, which turned out to be a fifth-round draft pick. So you're not going to give up on him yet. You're not just going to outright cut him because you obviously had a plan for trading for him, and he was a big part of the special teams. And like we said last week, he only saw 11 touches on offense, and that totally has to change. But at the same time, I have a feeling that the Bills are nowhere near being done with Naheem Hines. So if anything, you'd probably want to trade him and get something back for him. But I don't even think that the Bills are looking to trade him. So I think the most logical thing to do with Naeem Hines is, again, restructure him, save $1.9 million, And then that way you're it, – it's not – if he doesn't get the ball as much on offense next year, it's a little bit more more justified if you can move that money around. Because right now you're, you're paying – a third string running back $5 million to, re- to return kicks. And that's not going to happen anymore. So I think something has to happen with Hines. And I think the most logical thing that happens here is that they restructure his deal. Exactly. And I'm just looking up real quick on spot track. What exactly the cat, the salary that Andre Roberts made back when he was in Buffalo, he signed a two-year deal, $4.6 million in 2019 with the Bills to be a return man. So his average salary was $2.3 mil. Now, Naheem Hines' contract, like you said, currently he's costing about $5 mil on the cap. But if you restructure him, you may, you know, you save $1.9. So doing quick rough math. Because right now his base salary is slated to be $4.45 mil this year. And his cap is 4.79. If you save 1.9 mil on the cap, that's roughly 2.8 or so mil left, which honestly, that's not bad. That is not a bad figure to be at for a third running back or a backup running back and return specialist. That is not bad. It's slightly above what Andre Roberts made, but you can live with it. And also he's under contract for two more years. So, obviously, you cross the 2024 bridge when you get there. But he is more valuable to this team as a return man than as as he is cut. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. I, I think there's still way too much value with Naeem Hines and a lot of untapped potential because when they acquired him, they kept saying, oh, we're going to use him as that dynamic weapon out of the backfield and we're going to get the screen game going. Maybe you can use him in the slot. Then you can use him in the return game. And the only thing that we saw was a return game. So he had six rushes and five receptions, and that is nowhere near enough. So like I was saying a couple minutes ago, you're not going to pay a third string running back $4.8 million just to return kicks. 
So I would think that they would want to restructure that deal. Unless they're they're thinking about making Naeem Hines such a focal point of their offense, then they'll probably leave him alone at 4.8. But I just don't see that happening. And we're going to get to this as we talk about our free agency wish list. But we have a couple of running backs in mind where I'm thinking at best, Hines will be RB2 next year. And probably the most feasible option is that he's RB3. So you're not going to want to pay your RB3 $4.8 million. So something has to give. And I think that's going to be a cap um, uh, restructure. I would agree with you there, Kevin. Now, Zach, what do you think about McKenzie? Because I don't want to get into him too much because, again, I want to save this for when Bryce comes on and we're talking about the free agency wish list and what to do with the wide receiver room. But I'm just going to say this right now. I might be in the minority here, but I'm fine keeping McKenzie at 2.2 because here's the thing. Similar to Hines, McKenzie was not used correctly last year. They used him in the slot, and he proved that he could not be a full-time slot receiver. And Shakir was making plays every time he touched the ball and really every time he touched the field. So I think if you use McKenzie correctly, he could be worth that $2.2 million. And really, at the end of the day, what's $2.2 million? Because they can save, well, 21 and a half from restructuring Josh, almost 11 from Vaughn, and then all the other guys that I mentioned are 5 or $6 million right there. So for 2.2, I think if you use McKenzie correctly, use him as a gadget wide receiver, get him going with the jet sweeps, put him in motion, then he can be a backup slot receiver, he can be a backup punt returner, backup kick returner. I think there's value in that. And for what it's worth, let me just say this, because a lot of people don't mention this, and I think we forget, Isaiah McKenzie is the longest tenured Bills wide receiver. Well, <laughs> that is that is an interesting uh, factoid there, but yeah, I mean, in defining the term "used correctly," to be honest, I feel like "used correctly" means different things. Like for McKenzie, obviously they wanted to give him every opportunity to be a slot receiver, and it just didn't pan out. Now I think it's time to let Khalil Shakir get the reins there or bring in another guy who could split time in the slot, bring in another weapon to try to bolster the offense like that. And we'll get to that when we talk about our receivers for the wish list. Um, as for McKenzie, I do get what you're saying, and he is he'll be solid depth, but that's really all he is. You shouldn't be trying – to push him into the starting lineup anymore. You got to move on. You got to get better receiving options. I mean, it's all fine and good to keep McKenzie as a depth return man and a depth receiver. And $2.2 million is not really that bad a rate. But I think we just need to move on and try to bolster the weaponry we currently have and try to get better in the starting lineup at receiver in general. And that's, yeah, that's what I got to say about that. <laughs> well, that leads into the fourth thing on our list here. Trades. Because I think if anything, if you could get a good deal for McKenzie, then maybe that's the one way that he is off this team. But I think there is less value in just outright cutting him as a cap casualty because of the reasons that we mentioned. Because he is valuable to this team. 
it's just, it all comes down to how Dorsey uses him. So I think you're making your team worse by saying, oh, let's just save a couple million dollars and releasing him and letting him go wherever. But if you can find a trade partner who will give you, I don't know, maybe at best you get a fifth round pick. Maybe I would listen to it, but I just think based on the money, I want McKenzie on this team next year because if he was making seven or eight million, I would say, oh yeah, cut him or try to trade him, even though probably no one would want to take him for that much money. But the money really isn't that big of an issue when you can go after other guys' contracts. So I'm going to leave McKenzie alone, but we'll we'll save McKenzie and the rest of the wide receiver room for later in the show. The big trade that I want to talk about here is at Oliver. Now we talked about this a lot last week, and then the day after the show, he made that post on his Instagram story where he said, show me the money or I don't want to talk. And then he deleted it because a lot of people were screenshotting it. And, you know, that just kind of confirmed to me that the Bills don't need Ed Oliver anymore. And I, I get it. He could be a crucial part to this defense. He's shown a lot of potential, but that's the thing. He'll look like a game rocker one week and then he will disappear another week. And if he really wants to see the money, I think that has to be on another team because you can't be getting shown the money just to disappear in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. Like I think the biggest reason his name popped up on potential trade candidates is obviously he's on the fifth year option right now, which is worth 10.8 million for him. And you could save all that cap just by calling up and oppose calling up a GM from another NFL team and saying, Hey, we'll send them to you for draft picks. Obviously that I think is a bit more preferential for bills fans than it is something we may end up seeing. I also wouldn't put it past Bean to do it. If he felt he could get a good enough a return where it was worth it, but also, yeah, it wasn't a good look seeing his Instagram and him posting that show me the money or I am whatever he said. Thing and then deleting it because like I mean I got it every NFL player wants to get their money they want to get their bag they want to set themselves up they want to get whatever amount of money they can get but you also have to be able to back that up on the field Ed Oliver has shown flashes but he has not been the consistent source of production that I think the Bills anticipated or expected when they selected him ninth overall in that draft. And also it didn't help that he was being compared to Aaron Donald. That doesn't help anyone, but obviously eventually you just got to realize this certain player, no matter how much you like them and how much loyalty you feel towards them because they're, they were your pick. You got to figure, know when it's time to move on. And now may be the perfect time to get something for someone you may not necessarily resign next year. So here's the thing with Oliver. I mentioned this in the article and I'm going to mention it here. So Buffalo picked up his fifth year option last year. So he has a $10.8 million salary that is fully guaranteed this year. His cap hit base salary and dead cap are all worth 10.8 million. However, if the bills were to trade Oliver before June 1st, he would have a dead cap of $0, meaning they would save all of that $10.8 million by trading him. So you're not going to cut him. If anything, you're going to trade him. And based on what we know and the production that we've seen out of him and the inconsistencies, 
I think if you can save almost $11 million and if you can really get some good draft picks for him, I'm willing to trade out Oliver. I love Ad Oliver, but at the same time, I love guys who are going to produce and not chase the money. So if the Bills can find a trade partner for Ed Oliver, sign me up for it. Because as you will see in my free agency wish list, I found someone who, again, a small sample size here, but he had more production than Oliver, and his market value is half the price. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can definitely find similar production or better at a cheaper rate, especially in this free agency. So we talked about this last week a little bit, Zach, and not to harp on this too much, but I think it definitely should get discussed again, especially if we have new viewers in here. What do you think the Bills could get for Ed Oliver? Because that's the main question that people want answered because you want to get the right price for Ed Oliver because he is a good player. Like you said, he was picked ninth overall. He still has upside. It's just he has flashes and he is inconsistent. So I've seen anywhere from a second to a couple of day three picks, maybe two two day two picks. That might be pushing it. But do you think the Bills could get a second round pick for at Oliver or maybe like a third and a sixth? I feel like third and a sixth, third and a seventh would be more likely. But ideally, obviously, you want to get the most you can. I think it would be feasible depending on which team and how desperate they are or whatever at the position. They You could get a second. You may have to throw an extra pick in or something to get that up there, but any day two pick would probably be more valuable than the 10.8, well, than at Oliver at the 10.8. So, Well, I'll finish with this here with Ed Oliver because I'm wondering if the Bills could use him as leverage to either move up in the draft. Well, I guess they wouldn't want to use him as leverage to move down in the draft because you could you could just trade the 27th overall pick and move down and get a couple picks in return. So if you want to use Oliver as leverage, or I'm going to throw another name in here because I did this last year, and I think it works again this year, A.J. Epinesa. Now, the Bills would only save a little over 1.4 from – trading AJ Epinesa, but he's another one that's just been way too inconsistent and hasn't lived up to expectations. So if the bills aren't getting necessarily the right deal right now, if there's something that comes about on draft night, I'm wondering if the bills could use someone like Epinesa and say, Hey, whoever, you know, someone who's picking at 15, 18, 20, somewhere, if the bills want to move up 10 spots, to go get a wide receiver that they really like or an offensive lineman that they really like. I wonder if they could use AJ Epinesa as, as leverage. He's probably a little bit more likely than Oliver, but I'm just trying to think of the different scenarios here because there's a lot of different ways that you could go with this. I mean, yeah, theoretically you could use any expendable player as leverage in a trade up or a trade down or whatever. Like most importantly, Brandon Bean found a way to get a fifth round pick for Cody Ford and a seventh round pick for Lee Smith, who was basically one foot out the door of the league anyways. So anything's possible. Like you said, I think maybe it would be more likely to trade Epinesa or Boogie Basham, one of those two, than to trade at Oliver. But if they get a good enough deal for any player, they're open for business. 
And that, I mean, that's how you want it to be. You want a GM that's open to anything. Well, I think we will leave it right there because we are already over a half hour into the show here. I like that we open up that way, though, because, like I said, there's a lot of moves that have to take place before we can get to these expected moves or these hopeful moves that we're about to talk about because the Bills are definitely going to make moves. I mean, Brandon Bean has talked about adding a lot to this team, signing low-cost free agents who are going to be high-impact players, but you have to make some moves ahead of that to be able to be cap compliant. So the way we finished with the article, I had saved the bills about $55.5 million, and that gave them, based on the numbers as of last week, they, we were going based off of $41 million in cap space. Now, that's obviously going to differentiate between our numbers and the real-life numbers, especially now that we know Milano got extended, Tim Settle cleared um, – they cleared up 600000 from him and whatever deals and moves that they have maybe that they're working on that they haven't announced yet. But for all intents and purposes, everything that you guys are about to see now is based on $41 million in cap space. So I took that $41 million and said, here's who I think the Bills could go after. Zach did the same and Bryce did the same, who is about to come on momentarily. Bryce, give me a thumbs up when you're ready. Oh, he's waving. He's more than ready. All right. Now here is Bryce Martino, everybody. And, you know, so far I think we had one internet issue, so I'm hoping we can continue on here with some good internet luck now that the three of us are on screen together. Don't jinx it. <laughs> yeah. But, right, nonetheless, good to see you, my man. How you doing? Going on. It's good to be here. So, Bryce, before we get into our wish list here, do you have any further commentary on what Zach and I were talking about just with all the different cap moves and the restructures and maybe potential trades or just anything that we talked about or maybe didn't talk about that you want to highlight? Yeah, I wasn't a big fan, or I shouldn't say that. I didn't agree with the Isaiah McKenzie uh, discussion there from Kevin I know Zach just burst out laughing there, but I have, I'm not a big fan of him. I know he played well against the Dolphins and Patriots those two games a couple years ago, but you know, when he finally got his time to play, he didn't produce all he pretty much all he did was drop the ball and got replaced on special teams by Naheem Hines. So let me ask you this. First of all, would you want to trade him or just outright cut him? No, I'm I'm not sure you can get any draft picks or anything valuable out of out of Isaiah McKenzie. So you probably would have to cut him and save that two million dollars. So do you have a plan before we get into our wish list here? Do you have anything just off the top of your head right now? Maybe a potential player? that came back for a mini reunion this year? You know, I'll just say it. Do you think Cole Beasley has a spot on this team next year? You know, at the very least, I could see him coming on for, uh, you know, training camp, being a camp body, and if he, you know, produces and does good in, in preseason, then I'll have a spot. But I think that's the most I'd give him. 
So, again, I, I don't want to start too much here, but if the wide receiver room, specifically the slot receivers next year, were Shakir and Beasley, how would we feel? Shakir and Beasley, I, I guess I'd feel pretty confident about that because, you know, you saw how much uh, Shakir was able to grow towards the end of the season and into the playoffs. So if you can get, you know, if he can see the field more and, you know, get more touches and more snaps, then I think you could see an uptick in production. Zach, how do you feel about this? I see someone in the comment. I'll just pull it up here. Roy says he'd rather re-sign Crowder than keep McKenzie. Now, that could be another option, too. If you're thinking a cheap contract, maybe you could get Crowder back for a little less than that 2.2. And you might be able to get an uptick in production, provided that Crowder can stay healthy. You do lose that versatility in terms of the jet sweeps and the gadget role and being a backup returner as well. But I'm going to throw Crowder in here as long as Roy did. And Zach, how do you feel about bringing back Crowder and or Beasley and getting rid of McKenzie? I would say that to address your point about the gadget tree and stuff, you could theoretically, if you wanted to move on from McKenzie, Naheem Hines does the exact same stuff. It's just he plays running back instead of receiver. He can do everything McKenzie can do and probably a bit better because he'll more likely catch the ball. But, I mean, with Crowder, again, the big caveat is if he can stay healthy. And if he can stay healthy, he would be a solid wide receiver four. Or a wide receiver five. No complaints about that. I don't realistically see them bringing him back, though. I think this year they took a flyer on him because he was an experienced slot receiver and he just couldn't stay healthy and got beat out by McKenzie and Camp and then just never recovered from there. Uh, I would have no problems if they signed him back as a cheap depth piece. And with Cole Beasley, again, I would have no problems bringing him back in for Camp. I wouldn't give him any guarantees or I wouldn't want to go into the preseason with Beasley penciled in as the slot receiver again, nothing against him as a player, but he's old. He's at that point in his career where it's better to move on completely. Try to let Shakir grow into the role, give him his opportunity, let him Go out onto the field in camp, in OTAs, in the preseason. Try to develop that chemistry with Josh. Keep going. Build on the momentum of the last of the postseason, the last few weeks. Give him his opportunity. Unless the the only reason where I would say you don't do that would be if you went into free agency and signed a wide receiver with the expectations they would be a starter. And then McKenzie would have to take a backseat as wide receiver four. Well, Mike brings up a good point here. He says Dorsey stopped running the jet sweeps. And he's right. So you could look at that and say, why do we need McKenzie if we're not even going to use him? So I see it from that perspective, too, where you might say, well, Beasley fits into the offense better than McKenzie does or Jamison Crowder, for that matter. But I want this offense to evolve and I want this offense to use those trick plays that Dable literally handed off to Dorsey, but he refused to use and say, 
eh, you know what? I'll just keep doing my own plays. We're just going to run double post routes to Gabe Davis. We don't need any of the trickery. So that's why I want McKenzie so much. But if they're not going to use him, then I can see where you would want to move on from him and save over $2 million. But I think a lot of this comes back to how much will this offense evolve and how much can they use McKenzie? Because I hate to always bring up the Chiefs here, but look how Kansas City used their offensive weapons this year. They traded away their wide receiver one, and they won the Super Bowl. Those two touchdowns in the second half with Sky Moore and Kadarius Toney, that's not because those getting open. I because I was rolling for a second. It started buffering on my end. But the point that I'm trying to make is Kansas City had the coaching and the scheme set in place, whereas Buffalo didn't. And that makes guys like McKenzie think what the people Are you back, Kevin? <laughs> feed the hamsters yet? that cut out because i was going pretty well there <laughs> yeah it did cut out yeah well how much did you guys get to hear nothing <laughs> you didn't hear any of that no i didn't great all right let, let me just try summing it up you, you heard the part about kansas city right yep kansas okay. city Kadarius, tony sky Moore, all that yeah Okay, yeah, so probably cut out somewhere in there. But I was just saying that Kansas City knew how to scheme their guys open, and it was a plug-and-play system where I guess I would kind of contradict my point and say, well, you could just plug in someone else and use them in that same McKenzie role, which is true. But the way they operated their offense, they had a role for every single player, and he executed it. I'm not sure if McKenzie ever really had a role on this team because the Bills – acquired so many players who could run the slot position or be running backs last year, but they were an offense that their identity was going deep. So McKenzie really never had that, that identified role. And I I just feel like if the bills know how to use him, then it could be that much better this year. And he wouldn't look as bad. Yeah. I mean, evidently it's just, remains to be seen <laughs> all right well i guess that was our first uh internet little break up here but moving into the main crooks of our show tonight free agency wish list now we're gonna go around the horn here starting at backup quarterback and just going position by position here we're not doing this in importance, I'm not saying that the backup quarterback is the single most important position that the Bills have to address here. I think it just makes the most sense from a visual standpoint. Just we'll go quarterback, running back, wide receiver, offensive line, defensive line, and then work our way into the defense. So while I get my stuff set up here, I'll just let you guys talk about this position in general before I give my player here. But what are we looking for here out of the backup quarterback this year? Well, first I want to say just most people, obviously you have the important thing. You have a franchise quarterback 
who is a game-changing player, go in there every time he throws a pass or every time he runs with his legs, you know, most likely something good will happen. And that's what you want. We got finally got to that point. However, and it, I remember there's this famous quote from the former Indianapolis Colts offensive coordinator. I forgot what his name was, but, like, he used to say this about Peyton Manning. Like, he would say that when Peyton Manning – if Peyton Manning went down, then they were effed. So they didn't practice effed, and they never bothered giving Jim Sorge, the backup quarterback, any starting routes. But I – if Josh Allen goes down, if he gets – like an arm injury or a leg injury, God forbid, like last year when he injured his elbow against the Jets, you didn't want to be effed. You wanted to be able to contend for the one seed. That's where they were at that point. You didn't want to be effed and just chalk up the rest of the season, write it off for tax purposes. You wanted someone to go in, be able to go in there, study the ship for a couple games and keep the bills on track for when Josh Allen comes back. And that's what I want. Every year that Josh Allen is quarterback, I want a QB two that could go in and study the home for a couple games if need be, but not necessarily someone that you would have, they wouldn't necessarily be someone you'd have to rely on for six or seven weeks, because if that happens, you truly are effed. but you want to be able to have someone who can, has the experience in game experience, starting experience, whatever, to study the helm while Josh is out, preferably somebody with enough athleticism where and enough arm where you don't really have to change the offense that much to accommodate the backup coming in and starting. And also preferably somebody who's a little, for me, I would prefer somebody who's a little younger just so you could potentially have them longer if you needed to bring back a backup instead of having to go through QB2 roulette every year. Well, Zach, as long as you're on a roll, I'm just going to lead you in with the quarterback that you want here, and that Maybe. is Taylor Heineke. To quote Kevin, boom. <laughs> <laughs> boom, there he is. Yes. So t- tell us what is so enticing about Taylor Heineke because – I, I don't want to burst your bubble here, but his market value, I think this is crazy, and I think I agree with your numbers more than Spottrack's, but his market value is almost $20 million. Spottrack is projecting that he's going to get a three-year $60 million deal. So if that's the case, obviously he's not going to be in Buffalo, but I think you have him for a little bit of a cheaper cost, right? Yeah, so public service announcement. Take Spotrack's market values with a grain of salt. Taylor Heineke, the reason they have it said at that is not because they think he's going to be the richest backup quarterback in history. It's because they think he'll probably be a bridge quarterback somewhere else. And you want to know why? It's because he was a capable enough quarterback starting in Washington. He was a team player. He was swaggy. He has guts. He found a way to get that dysfunctional team to rally around him to a winning record, even though, granted, he didn't have the best stats, but he rallied that team around him in a way Carson Wentz could never come close to. And, like I said, they had a winning record. They were contending for a wild card spot until 
They pulled the plug and went back to Carson Wentz, which was dumb and is always dumb. And that's why Carson Wentz was nowhere near my list. But (laughs) back to Taylor Heineke. The main thing is he has starting experience. Another bonus is he has that bit of a Carolina connection. Scott Turner, North Turner, Ron Rivera. He has that Panther connection. Obviously, he was more rooted with Ron Rivera than he was with Sean McDermott or anything. But, you know, Sean McDermott presumably values Ron Rivera's advice and insight. I think it would be a pretty good fit. Taylor Heineke probably, if again, if he doesn't get a bridge QB deal, which he would be justified in getting from someone based on how he's performed the last couple of years in Washington, then he would be a very solid QB2, probably one of the better backups in the league. And as for the cap value I projected, I said somewhere around, because last year Case Keenum got about $3 million, I believe. He was slated to make six, but then they restructured him when they traded for him. So he made $3 million, I believe, last year. I have Heineke two years, $7 million, Average annual value, three and a half mil a year. And I think the cap hit would be very similar. It would probably be about three and a half mil a year. And you could, and I could live with that and feel confident with him as my go-to in emergency quarterback. Now, I would be fine with Taylor Heineke. And I agree with you for just about all of your reasons as to why the Bills should get him. But my main stipulation here is, can you get him for that contract? Because... I think I'm going to be somewhere in the middle of you and spot track because I think that Heineke is going to get a bigger deal because I could see a team like Tampa Bay going after him and saying, Hey, we're going to draft a quarterback, but we need you to kind of fill that role until he's ready. And they're probably going to pay him accordingly. So if I'm Taylor Heineke, I'm looking for a team like Tampa or maybe Vegas and saying, where's my best opportunity to get money and playing time. Because if I go to Buffalo, the only way I'm getting on the field is if Josh Allen gets hurt. So now, I just don't I will, know if the money's going to be there for Taylor Heineke. Well, I will counter what you said there because I remember in February, he went on Pat McAfee's show and they were talking about this. They were talking about where he wanted to go, where he wanted to end up. He Obviously, he said his preference would be to get a starting opportunity somewhere in the NFL, but he did say that being a backup quarterback is probably one of the best jobs in America. So he would be willing. He, like I said, he was a team player at the end of the year after Carson Wentz had played them out of playoff contention, much to uh, Ron Rivera's knowledge of the situation. As we all remember, he, at first it was reported that Heineke and Howell would split playing time in the last week, but then you know what Heineke did? He went into Ron Rivera's office and he told him, let Howell play. It's his time. Let him play. Let him get the experience. He's a team player. He's willing to put the team ahead of his own self-interest. That's why I think he would be a feasible option for the Bills for for quarterback two. Obviously, again, if he wants, if he gets an offer from in the vein of 20 mil a year to be a bridge quarterback somewhere, got, you know, more power to him. I will be rooting for him either way. Tyrod got that way back when from Buffalo, so why not Taylor Heineke too? True. 
Bryce, I'm going to go to you now before I give mine because your quarterback is kind of someone like Taylor Heineke where he could be that bridge quarterback, maybe still a starter, probably more of a backup. But this one's pretty interesting here because he's good friends with Josh Allen, and that's Sam Darnold. So tell us why you think Darnold could be an option for QB2 in Buffalo. Yeah, I think he has kind of similar still. Uh, skill sets to Josh Allen where you don't have to change up your scheme a whole lot. If Josh Allen, God forbid, gets hurt and has to miss, you know, two or three or whatever games, you know, he can take over the offense and kind of play the same scheme just enough where we can still, you know, be in contention. I do like his contract too. I have him somewhere in $5 million a year range. I think that's uh, pretty pretty decent for a backup quarterback nowadays. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how I feel about Sam Darnold because I feel like he'd be a decent backup, but he's just – he's been underwhelming ever since he was drafted so highly. And I don't know if I would agree when you said that he has a similar skill set to Josh Allen. Maybe he has a big arm, but he doesn't have that mobility that Allen has. So that would be the thing that throws me off, and I just don't know if I'd want to give Sam Darnold Five plus million dollars. Yeah, I wouldn't say he has the exact sk- same skill set, but just enough where, you know, like I said, if he has to step in, you're not going to, you know, have to change up the whole entire offense to fit Darnold. I mean, put it this way if Darnold came in, obviously that's a huge drop off, but I think he would still be able to win games for the Bills. And here's the thing based on the options available, I'm not sure how many guys would be able to do that where you could say, oh, you really want Sam Darnold when we can go get this guy? Because that guy might not be there. Now, some of those guys who might make the most sense would be Jacoby Brissett and Marcus Mariota because those guys have that mobility. They're a dual-threat quarterback like Josh Allen, and they're the the perfect veteran presence in the locker room. Jacoby Brissett's been just on a tour for the last few years, just stopping in different cities, different teams, helping them out while they, you know, figure out their, their quarterback situation. And obviously he wouldn't be helping the bills figure anything out. It would just be providing some really good insurance. But I think that Brissett and Mariota are going to be more of those Taylor Heineke guys where they look at the market and say, well, I can still be a starter. I can be a fringe starter. If there's a team like Tampa or Vegas again, or even Carolina, even though they're going to be drafting number one now, but any of these teams, Houston for that matter, where they might look at that and say, I'm going to go down to Houston and I'm going to try to get some good money because I think I could get some playing time and I could help them groom their top draft pick. So that's why I don't think that we will see Mariota or Jacoby Brissett in Buffalo. Now, the guy that I have here, this could be a little bit polarizing, but Drew Locke. Now, this is a guy where I would probably put him a little bit below Heineke and Darnold because I don't think Locke is ready to be a starting quarterback again. Because we talked about Heineke, he could be that bridge gap quarterback, maybe Sam Darnold, but Drew Locke still isn't ready to be that bridge gap quarterback. And what I said in my article was that Locke reminds me a lot of Mitch Trubat. He was drafted high, had a lot of high hopes and potential. And it just didn't pan out for whatever reason. And he hasn't been able to put it together. So 
I'm thinking that the Bills could use a similar tactic to lure Locke to Buffalo and say, hey, we know things haven't gone the way you've wanted them to, but why don't you come to Buffalo, learn behind Josh Allen, clear your mind for a year. And then and that'll lead to more Did you guys hear that? Didn't hear anything at all. We heard sign a one-year deal, and I assume you probably were talking about kind of like what Mitch Trubisky did in 2021, a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's what I was saying, that Locke could be this year's version of Mitch Trubisky, where they could get Drew Locke here and say, hey, things haven't gone the way you wanted them to, so why don't you come here for a year it won't be that much money, but you can learn behind Josh Allen. You can kind of clear your mind for a little bit, and then that'll lead to a more prosperous future, and you can get more money and better opportunities next year. And I think Locke has that skill set where he could be a little bit of that dual-threat quarterback where he can take off and run if he has to, and he has decent arm strength. Obviously, he's not a Josh Allen, but you know, for, for a backup quarterback – I'm okay with Drew Locke on a cheap. I had him a one one year, $3 million deal. Honestly, I could see that. Like I said, if Taylor – actually, Drew Locke was one of my alternate choices too. Like, if you can't get, like, one of the top-tier backup slash potentially bridge QBs like Gardner Minshew or Taylor Heineke, Drew Locke – he would probably be very affordable, probably has little leverage to work with because, like you said, he's probably not ready to be a starter somewhere yet. So you could bring him in on a one-year, cheap one-year deal, and he may actually be fairly similar to Josh Allen, minus, you know, the elite playmaking abilities. But so I, yeah, I'd be and fine with Drew Locke. And like you said, I, I like that word, leverage, because right now the Bills could have leverage over Drew Locke, but Marcus Mariota would have that leverage over the Bills, where he can say, hey, I've done this, this, and that in the league, so I deserve this contract, where you look at Drew Locke and it's like, what have you done? So we're going to give you what we want. You can't tell us how much money you want. Would you agree with that? Yeah, like, obviously, Marcus Mariota, yeah, he's more likely than not, he'd probably be one of those journeyman bridge guys. Him, Brissett, they're like the fringe guys who will probably still end up somewhere getting a starting opportunity or competing for a starting opportunity, even though I think Gardner Minshew is better than Mariota and deserves a starting opportunity. I mean, but, you know, ultimately – the Bills have Josh Allen. They need. They don't really need another starter. They don't need another starting QB. You just need someone who's capable of coming in and manning the fort for a couple games. Who has start starting experience as a bonus, but not necessarily the the requirement. All right. Well, moving on to running back here. I combine these two because we all had similar ideas here. 
And by that, I mean, I think we can all agree that the Bills need that bruiser. They don't need a bell cow back who can just take over because that's not their offense. They are a pass first team, but they need someone who can compliment James Cook and Naheem Hines. And I think the best way to do that is by getting someone who does the exact opposite of James Cook and Naheem Hines. And that is Jamal Williams or Deontay Foreman. Now, Jamal Williams ran for over a thousand yards last year and he had 17 rushing touchdowns. So I would love if they could get Jamal Williams. And there was a report out there that the Bills are one of four teams very interested in Jamal Williams. I just don't know if the money will be there. So I think Deontay Foreman would be a great plan B because he could be that first down goal to goal back where I just see him fitting in so well with this offense. Yeah, Deontay Foreman has put done pretty well for himself considering how he started his career as like a fringe roster guy. And then he went to Tennessee and he was Derek Henry's backup and actually first showed some flashes there. And then last year in Carolina, finally got an opportunity after they traded away Christian McCaffrey and well, pun intended ran away with it. Like now, <laughs> and now he's looking to get a lucrative free agent deal, but Obviously, his market rate would be a lot cheaper than a Jamal Williams or Saquon Barkley would have been had he been a free agent and whoever the other top-tier running backs are available. And I, I'd be more than happy with him considering that running back is sort of a devalued position, both generally speaking and on the Bills in the Bills' offense. So you don't really have to invest that much into it to get production out of it. Bryce, what are, what are your thoughts on these two running backs? Yeah, I like Foreman because he's, you know, if we got Jamal Williams, he would probably have to be the bell cow running back, you know, RB1 over James Cook and Naheem Hines. So I'm not sure Buffalo is really looking for that. What they, what I think they would be looking for is someone, you know, uh goal line running back or a third down back where you can just put him in and he's going to be that bruiser, you know, instead of having Josh take all the hits in the goal line inside the five or 10 or on third and one or fourth and one. Well, that's a perfect segue into what I want to talk about next in regards to just a running back position in general. And that's the, the hits that Josh Allen takes because before I make this point, Jamal Williams has a market value of 4.1 million. Deontay Foreman's is 3.4. So like I said, I don't know if I trust that too much because a team might want to give Jamal Williams more than $4.1 million after he had 17 rushing touchdowns. But either way, I am willing to spend a little bit more on a running back like one of these guys if that means preserving Josh's body. Because you are taking hits away from Allen by giving it to Deontay Foreman on the goal line. Or if you give it to Jamal Williams, that is going to positively affect Josh Allen years down the road. So you got to think long-term versus short-term here because, yeah, you might want to say, well, between the free agent running back that we sign, James Cook and Naeem Hines, why are we paying running backs $10 million? But you got to look at that in the future as well and say a couple million of those dollars could go towards Josh Allen's body in four or five years. 
Yeah, because you don't want him to end up being like Cam Newton in Carolina where he just, you know, ran 20 times a game, took as many hits as he could and was out of league in, was it, eight years or so. You want him to last 15, 17 years and have a good long career. And getting a bruiser like Deontay Foreman or Jamal Williams uh, would lead to that. And I feel like the thing with Devin Singletary is I, I think, first of all, it seems like Singletary's time here is over and no one's really talking about the Bills resigning him. But I feel like the problem with Motor is that he is a combination of all the guys that we mentioned. Yeah, he can kind of be that big bruiser, but yeah, he can also be more of that shifty back, the pass catching back like Hines and, and Cook. So he's kind of right in the middle where it's just like, does he even really fit on this team anymore where you could just solely go get a big bruiser like Deontay Foreman, and then you have James Cook, who is solely a speedy, shifty pass-catching back. So that's why I feel like Devin Singletary is kind of expendable right now, regardless of how much money he's going to ask for. Yeah, Devin Singletary, at this point, obviously, I love the player. He did pretty well in his rookie contract, but it's just time to move on and obviously drafting James Cook in the second round last year court sort of sing signal that they were likely going to move on so that's why as much as I love Singletary let him walk out get his money elsewhere find someone else and obviously to go back to your point points about Josh Allen and also just the type of running back the Bills need Josh Allen has been the primary power back for this team for the last few years. And as much as he may enjoy contact and laughing after getting tackled and whatnot, we sure as hell don't as fans. <laughs> we want to see him get up. We want to see him be okay, be out of harm's way as much as possible. I mean, I'm not saying that he needs to stop running the ball, but if he could run a little less and maybe hand the ball off to Deonta Foreman, James Cook, Jamal Williams, maybe Samaje P. Ryan as another possible option, someone like that. But it it does bring to mind, though, that the fact that they had to use Josh Allen so much as a power back is because they didn't have one. And that's why, like you said, Kev, if you need to spend a little bit more to help preserve Josh Allen to hand it off to a power back, I'd be fine with Deonta Foreman. But I'd also much rather go after Jamal Williams because he was a touchdown machine last year. He he stood out as one of those really, as you saw in hard knocks last offseason, he's a very competitive player. He's very passionate. He will do anything for the team. He seems to really want the ball. He also seems to really want to win. And I think... As much as the cap issue may be a question for signing a running back, especially to a second contract, I think the Bills could find a way to squeeze them in here. Obviously, the spot track market value was like, what, 4.1 mil or 4.9 mil or something. I had them pegged potentially two years, 11 mil, five and a half mil a year. Because I think the Bills, I think that would be a feasible contract. Not too long where it becomes an albatross, but not too short where it's kind of like we're looking at the same thing every offseason. You just get 
get Jamal Williams in here, let him take the goal line carries. So you don't have to keep calling QB sneaks every, every time on the goal line and keep Josh Allen healthy. So he can keep doing Josh Allen things in the passing game and less in the run game, but overall just longer. Well, I think the bills are definitely going to do something because not only do they have to replace Devin Singletary, but I feel like they've been trying to find this power back for years now, and they tried to with Zach Moss, but that didn't work out. So they shipped him out for Naheem Hines, and then Hines is pretty much the second coming of James Cook, and those guys had the same skill set. And now with Singletary being a free agent, I think the Bills want to find that power back who, like we were saying, can take those hits away from Josh Allen and can be the perfect complement to James Cook and Naheem Hines. So I think free agency is definitely the route to go here. I'm tired of the Bills trying to draft running backs, using high picks on running backs, especially right now. They only have six picks in the draft. And if they don't make another trade to get some picks back, I'm not going to waste another pick on a running back, maybe an undrafted free agent. But I think there are way too many other positions that you have to fill in the draft. So I'm going to go with the proven veteran, a proven bruiser like Jamal Williams or Deontay Foreman. And for the record, there was a report that came out that Jamal Williams and the Bills had mutual interest. That's part of the reason we're bringing him up right now. So before we move on to wide receiver, I have to ask you guys about another running back here. Could we see another season of... Death taxes and Taiwan Jones on special teams. <laughs> Damn it, Kevin, you should have let me say it. <laughs> but yes, that's going to happen. It, it just feels inevitable. It's always inevitable. He's one of those, what Sean McDermott would probably call glue guys, but also he has a legit value on special teams. And he's just a proven gunner, which apparently is more complex a position or role than we would think of in Madden. So if he wants to be on the team and he's willing to just string along vetman deals until he retires, more power to him. Well, he's going to be 35 going into next season. So I'm ready to move on from him. But like you said, death taxes and Taiwan Jones on special teams. He's a glue guy. They might want him back for another year, maybe two years. Who knows? But I don't know. Definitely do not factor him in for the running back room, but I just had to bring it up, and I figured you would like that little Berserk. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He's just – it's just death taxes and Taiwan Jones on special teams. We'll see him in training camp jogging or sprinting sideline to side, end zone to end zone, warming up for his traditional position on the field. And doing Friday karaoke with Deion Dawkins. <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth. I was just about to say that. It'll be another year <laughs> See, of him in the locker reason. room. Yeah, that's another reason why you can't move on from McKenzie. Yeah. It's got to be him, Dawkins, and Taiwan just dancing in the end zone to a bunch of Whitney Houston and Cardi B. <laughs> the big three coming back again. Okay. Moving on. Speaking of McKenzie, the wide receiver room. This is one of the biggest positions that the Bills have to fill because we saw 
how it came back to bite them last year. Right? We went into the season with Gabe Davis as wide receiver two, and everyone thought that the Bills were good. They added a plethora of guys in the slot, even though they refused to use those guys. And then who do the Bills have behind Diggs and Davis on the outside? Jay Kumaro, he was hurt. Isaiah Hodgins, he got claimed off waivers by the Giants. Yeah. So what did the Bills have behind Diggs and Davis? Crickets. <laughs> exactly. I can't name anyone outside of John Brown later in the season. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think technically it was Khalil Shakir, but then they had to, you know, use him in the slot. So, yeah, John Brown later in the year, and then that was about it. <laughs> so, before we get into the specifics here, what do we think about this position? Because I'm just going to give my take here. I think the route to go here is you sign a veteran and you definitely draft one high because I think this is a position that you need to address early in the draft. Brandon Bean has not drafted wide receivers early as of late. And actually, was the last first-round pick Kelvin Benjamin? The the last first-round wide receiver to be on the Bills? Is that stat correct? Yeah, Kelvin Benjamin is the last first-round drafted wide receiver that the Bills have had on this roster. Thank you for cleaning that up for me, but yes. So <laughs> I think it's time for the Bills to draft one early, not only for that depth that we talked about, but Gabe Davis is going to be in a contract year. And if he's not living up to expectations, he could okay. either be with another team or the Bills could potentially trade him. So you also have to look at that too and say we could potentially be looking for a Gabe Davis replacement so that's why I think you have to take a wide receiver on either day one or day two, but I'm also going to bolster up that room by signing a free agent. Yeah, I think, I think that's a feasible approach. That's probably what the bill should do. So hopefully they do that. <laughs> so who wants to go first here? Who's the first wide receiver that we could be seeing the bills take actually, you know what? I'm going to throw this name up here because it coincides with the slot receivers. Paris Campbell. Zach, you had him, correct? That is correct, especially after I did some cap maneuvering elsewhere on my wish list. I found some money, and I figured I would put it towards a up-and-coming, potential up-and-coming slot receiver in Paris Campbell. He had sort of a breakout year this year in a dysfunctional indie offense. So imagine what he can do with Josh Allen at quarterback playing as the slot receiver in Buffalo. And I pegged him at two years, $12 million, about six mil in cap for this year. The reason I have that as opposed to, again, spot tracks value, which was a little cheaper is because the wide receiver market as of late has been inflated a bit. So I figured, yeah, you might have to pay a little bit like that to get a guy like Campbell and reportedly he's going to have a healthy market. So even that may not happen, but compared to like a Jacoby Myers where you would have to shell out potentially 15 to 18 mil a year, I'd rather have Paris Campbell. But also, I think there are other cheaper options you could possibly go with if you want to try to bring in a veteran to compete and push Shakir. 
but not necessarily take the job outright. So you give Shakir an opportunity. Yeah, that's my main problem here because I do like Paris Campbell, but what do we do with Khalil Shakir then? Because we're all in agreement that he needs to see the field more. But if you bring in a guy like Paris Campbell, like you were saying, Paris Campbell had a great season for a terrible team. And I'm thinking that he is going to see his best days ahead of him. So he's going to get a contract that says, I need more targets. And I'm not sure how you're going to split that up in Buffalo. I mean, he can play outside, correct? I think he can. I'm sure he can. But he's more of a slot receiver. So that's the only problem I have with a guy like Paris Campbell is because the Bills tried doing that last year where they got Jamison Crowder and then they drafted Shakir. They re-signed McKenzie. Then they even brought back Cole Beasley. And where did it get them? They just refused to use their slot receivers. And you could look at that and say, well, that was because maybe they weren't that good. Maybe McKenzie was dropping too many balls. How can you trust him in the slot? But then it's like, well, why didn't you use Khalil Shakir then? And obviously, Jamison Crowder got hurt. So that makes it a little bit harder of a comparison. But the Bills' identity is they want to attack you deep. And I'm just not sure if I want to go after another slot receiver. Maybe one in the draft where you could get that versatility where you could say, hey, he can play inside or outside. But a guy like Paris Campbell, I'm just not sure if he fits the Bills scheme here. Any receiver that can come in, catch balls and run after the catch, get yak after the catch. I know that's probably repetitive, but I think that would be the type of receiver that fits the scheme here. Yeah, I mean, I would agree if Dorsey knows how to use him. See, a lot of this comes back to whether or not Ken Dorsey knows how to adapt and evolve. Because if he's going to bring in Paris Campbell just to not use him, then that's a wasted contract right there. So I want a guy who can help specifically on the boundary behind Gabe Davis and Diggs for that matter. And Bryce, you have a guy here who is that boundary receiver that I want to talk about. DJ Chark. Tell us a little bit about Chark because he started out really hot in Jacksonville and then he's had a couple of off years, started to come back a little bit in Detroit, found his stride, battled through some injuries. But this is an interesting prospect here. Yeah, to your point about Detroit, he started off pretty good, 502 yards, three touchdowns. He had some injuries, only played in um, 11 games according to pro football reference, so you know, without those injuries, he probably could have had a better year and gotten a bigger contract in free agency. Right now, Spot Track projects him at uh, three years, $28 million, which I'd say is fair for his production. If Buffalo wants that tall physical receiver like DJ Chark, who's 6'4", almost 200 pounds, I think you might have to spend up a little bit to get, to get him because, you know, you tried that Gabe Davis – experiment tried Isaiah Hodgins that didn't work out he ended up cutting him so I think getting a proven wide receiver like DJ Shark is probably the best route for you I would have to say that he is probably my second favorite option here because I agree he's a big-bodied wide receiver specifically on the boundary he can run just about any route but mainly those intermediate to deep routes and we know how the Bills like to go deep Now, what I was thinking here is I want a 
a savvy veteran who will not command a lot of targets because DJ Chark, like I said, he's still. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. One is prime, so he might want to get the ball a little bit more than the guy that I have in mind here. So I just want a savvy veteran who can move the chains. Because here's another name that we haven't really talked about much. Not us specifically, just as Bills fans. Brandon Cooks. That could be an interesting option where you think of a deep threat. But as crazy as this might sound, I don't want a guy who can take the top off the defense because Dorsey will just want to go to him every single time. And he won't know how to use the slot receivers because he's going to fall in love with Brandon Cooks. And Josh Allen's arm is going to fall off because he's bombing it to Brandon Cooks every single play. So I want a guy who really doesn't go deep, but just knows how to manipulate the defense, move the chains, and get 10 to 15 yards at a time. And that's why I'm going with Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones has never had to be wide receiver one. He's had to a couple years here and there due to injury. But in Cincinnati, he started out behind A.J. Green. Then in Detroit, he was behind Kenny Galladay and Golden Tate for a little bit there. And then most recently in Jacksonville, he was behind Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. And now that he's – actually, today might be his birthday – or the other day, but either way, he's about 33 years old. And he's just at that point in his career where I think that he could come in and just be a very impactful wide receiver, not command a lot of targets and just say, hey, I'm here to help you guys and to provide that depth behind Davis and Diggs. I think that would be a pretty solid option, but obviously some people would question whether or not Marvin Jones could push Gabe Davis and quite frankly in this point in his career I don't think he would so I think obviously if you're signing him you're probably signing him to be a wide receiver for assuming that you have Khalil Shakir as your third wide receiver on the field but that being said Marvin Jones is a solid consistent producer when he's healthy and I think he he would he would be a good fit. He brings a veteran presence. P- Shakir can learn from him. Gabe Davis can learn from him. He'd probably end up being a one-year signing anyways. 
but I'd be down for it. But I also feel like you, it might, you might want to try to get someone a bit younger and try to see if you can get a little more consistency in that room. And to your point about going younger there, DJ Chark is only 26 years old. And I think Kevin mentioned it earlier. He's still in his prime. He's, he just finished up with his uh, fifth year in, in the NFL. And I do like DJ Chark. I like him a lot. I I liked him even last year. I was thought maybe the Bills should have considered him last year too. But my my only concern with DJ Chark is that whether or not he'd be outside the Bills price range, as in he'd be maybe too expensive. Because last year he made $10 million from the Lions. The question is, this year, he's 26, like you said, just finished his fifth year, had a pretty solid season, and with this receiver market where wide receiver contracts seem to be inflated, how much would he get on the open market this year? And that's a fine balance that you would have to find here with these wide receivers is because I think you were the one that said it, Zach. I'm not looking for a guy that's going to take snaps away from Gabe Davis. I'm looking for a guy who is going to help Gabe Davis make him more comfortable and not – how am I trying to say this? I want the Bills to get a guy who can be that cushion to where Gabe Davis doesn't have to do everything and he's not relied upon for all these double post routes every single time. Because I feel like if you were to get a younger guy like DJ Chark, he would want the ball a little bit more. And like you said, he would push Gabe Davis. And I know competition is good, but at the same time, I'm not ready to give up on Gabe Davis yet. I just think they need more depth behind him to say, Gabe, you're still our wide receiver too. But at the same time, if you can't get the job done, if you have butterfingers, we're going to get a proven veteran in here who can get the job done. And that's why I like Marvin Jones so much. And with the contract that I had him with, I think Marvin Jones is going to only command three, four, maybe five million at most, but it's really not going to be a lot. I had the Bills signing Marvin Jones two years, eight and a half million. I mean, that could be a reasonable deal. I don't, I just don't know if I would give, give Marvin Jones a two year deal, but I can understand that. And, and, and don't forget this part, too. As much as I'm saying I don't want to get a veteran who's going to push Gabe Davis and knock him out of his starting role, we are probably in agreement here that we want the Bills to draft a wide receiver high, and he would probably be the one giving Davis that competition. So that's why I think that proven veteran needs to be someone who is, I don't want to say on the decline of his career, but just someone who knows his role and isn't, going to be offended by being the wide receiver five in this offense because DJ Chark deserves more targets than the wide receiver five, because right now, the way I see it, it's going to be Diggs, obviously one Davis two, Shakir three in the slot. The rookie would probably be wide receiver four, Marvin Jones, wide receiver five. And then Isaiah McKenzie wide receiver six. So if you could DJ Chark, that could throw off the chemistry and the relationship with that rookie and with Gabe Davis. Honestly, I don't know if I'm super worried about losing that chemistry with Gabe Davis because, you know, 
I think a lot of Bills fans overhyped him going into last year and he didn't really produce. So now you got to go find someone that can take over his role and possibly more. Well, like I said, I, I wouldn't be mad if they get DJ Chark because I think that's a great option. I just want to find that balance between cost, impact, and locker room, wide receiver room, all those cliches that they talk about. So moving on to the offensive line now. Now, speaking of the draft, I'm just going to say this because Bryce is the only one that has a guard listed on here. I want the Bills to make offensive line. I want the Bills to make their interior offensive line, specifically the guard position, a high priority this year because they have been trying to patch it along the way, going back to Brian Winters, John Feliciano, Daryl Williams, this year Roger Saffold, and it just hasn't worked. So I want Quentin them Spain to make this too. a high Yeah, Quentin Spain. I want them to make this a high priority and say, hey, we're going to go find our second Wyatt Teller. We're going to go find that guard of the future who can play opposite Ryan Bates because getting these old veterans just to plug and patch, it hasn't been working. So I am going to rely on the draft for the interior, but I think there's an intriguing option here that Bryce has, and that is Ben Powers. Yeah, I... I love the idea of Ben Powers. He was very good in Baltimore and, you know, is still younger. I think he just finished his rookie deal, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, there's still room for him to grow in Buffalo and have a long career here. Now, the contract is the only thing I'd be worried about. I know Buffalo's in this cap mess and all this, but I think with the amount of times you've you know, tried to go after this aging guard or this back backup guard that you think you can mold and turn into a decent starter, it just hasn't worked. So I think you kind of have to pay up for this good young guard now. And uh, right now, Track has powers projected at uh, three years, 28 million, which I think is uh, fair for his production the past few years. And I'm sorry if you, if you already said this, but how old is he? I'm not sure off the top of my head. I'd have to check, but I know he did finish his rookie contract. I'll look that up in the meantime. Okay, this one, another Ben Powers. He's 26 years old. This Ben Powers is 64 at the age of death. Okay, that's not the the right one. So, (laughs) 26 years old he is. He was a fourth-round pick in 2019, so didn't quite finishes rookie or no he did never mind i'm I'm retarded someone else speak before i just lose my mind yeah zach what do you think about this do you want the bills to address the interior offensive line through free agency or do you want them to go after it in the draft because let's not forget they did resign ike butker and that might not mean much but the way i see it is he is that depth player where you have a hole right now at starting left guard, maybe right guard based on if they want to slide Ryan Bates over to there. But there is a hole right now. And are you going to fill that starting position with the rookie that you take high in the draft or with the free agent? Hmm. So either 
So the question being, sign a free agent or draft someone high? I would answer that with yes. <laughs> I would sign a free agent. Thank you for your insight. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but anyway. Groundbreaking so coverage that everyone joins Buffalo Fanatics for. <laughs> yep. It is. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, sign a veteran, someone who's been around the block, someone who you can bring in and start right away if need be, or at least contend to start, and then draft someone, preferably a center, a long-term center who could play guard immediately and contend there because Mitch Morse isn't getting any younger. You're probably going to have to move on from him sooner rather than later. Not saying you got to move on from him this year. Just keeping that in the back of our minds because we don't know how many more concussions he can take before he's out of the league. But anyways, that going to Ben Powers, I love him. I like that. I love the idea of bringing the best offensive lineman in the free agent class to Buffalo. But I also feel like you can sort of accomplish this with a little cheaper options. Like, And here's why I mean by that. My initial thought was Trey Turner. He's 29, the former Carolina Panthers guard, and that's why I thought of him. He was he was started his career and had his pro, pro Bowl seasons in Carolina when McDermott was there. And he can play right guard, and then you move Ryan Bates back to left guard, which I believe I heard is his more natural guard position, like the one he looked better at. And then you can draft like a John Michael Schmitz and then have him push Ryan Bates for a starting job or push Trey Turner for the starting job this year. And then, you know, be on your way, figure it out long-term. However, then I read Joe Buscaglia's mock off season and I was, I drew something from that, that really interests me because obviously you would talk about Spencer Brown and how he needs to be pushed for a job. He needs competition because in case he doesn't, he falls flat again, especially in pass protection, because we saw him fall flat many a times. And then it got me thinking, and this is a player that Joe Biscaglia get, I would recommend if you have access to his, to the athletic or know someone who has access to the athletic, please try to read his mock off season he brought up Andrew Wiley, the former, the soon-to-be former Chiefs offensive tackle slash guard, because he has starting experience. He has guard tackle flexibility, so he can not only push Spencer Brown, but worst case, if Spencer Brown does beat him out for the right tackle spot, you push him inside to guard and have him start right away, and then if you draft a guard, let him develop or mm-hmm. let them develop behind them or the other way around. If the guard you draft impresses and pushes Wiley out of contention for the starting guard spot, you start and Spencer Brown underwhelms, you start him at right tackle. So he gives you that tackle guard flexibility we got from Questenberry, but arguably as a better blocker, better pass protector, and also a significantly cheaper rate than Ben Powers or even 
some of the higher tier right offensive tackles. Um, Buscaglia in his article had two years, $10 million for Wiley. I put it as two years, 11 million, but I had, but we both had him having a backloaded deal so that his cap hit this year would be 3.8 mil. So it makes it much more affordable this year. And again, the thought being you have him as potential depth or starter at potentially two positions. And it kind of kills the two birds with one stone. Now a tackle that I think we all have on our radar here is Jermaine Illuminor with the Raiders. Because I would agree with what you said, Zach. Like like I was saying, I think if the Bills go after a guard in the draft, then that I think is the recipe for success this year. But I think someone needs to come here as that veteran presence for competition for Spencer Brown. Because Spencer Brown has been underwhelming. And like you were saying, he had that back injury. He wasn't able to get a full offseason underway. But his PFF grades were a 62.6 his rookie year and then a 51.4 last year. So he's also given up a lot of sacks and a lot of penalties have called have been called on him too. So I think the Bills need to get someone in here who can be that veteran presence to push him for that competition. And I think Jermaine Illuminor is interesting here because I feel like he has a lot of untapped potential too. He was a fifth-round draft pick of Baltimore in 2017, got traded to New England, played there for a couple of years, then went to Vegas, and he worked his way to being their starting right tackle last year. He had a career-best 75.3 PFF grade, and I feel like he's one of those guys where he's just starting to reach his climax. And I think that he would be that perfect combination where you could pair him with Spencer Brown on the outside. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of bringing in Illuminor just because of that veteran presence that you mentioned. Uh, Buffalo tried that last year with David Questenberry. It didn't really work out. So now you go find a better uh, offensive tackle that can maybe take over right tackle when Spencer Brown, you know, either gets injured or plays terribly this year and not have to worry about. Uh, the tackle that that's behind him, how bad he's going to be, or if he's going to be good, this, that, or the other thing. Um, with Raiders last year, he allowed three sacks on 940 uh, snaps played, which I'd say would be at the top of, you know, our offensive line in terms of production. I believe he did have a lot of penalties called on him, though. So that's yeah, ten penalties. One- yeah, so that's the main stipulation with him. But again, he doesn't have a lot of experience in terms of being a starter. So those could be some growing pains that maybe you could work with, but you could look at that and say, well, Spencer Brown doesn't have a lot of experience either, especially with the injuries that he's dealt with. But either way, I think the bills need to find a proven right tackle. And I guess Illuminar might not be considered proven, but he has six years in the league. So I would consider that, Proven, at least by those standards. More proven than Questenberry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, But I I just think they need to find someone out there who can push Spencer Brown this year. And and, and Illuminar has a market value of $5.6 million. So I have him projected to get a two-year $12 million deal. 
I think the Bills could do that, but we'll see. Yeah, exactly. The main thing is we need to get someone that can push Spencer Brown, if not replace him for this year, because you need to have a contingency in case Spencer Brown doesn't live up, doesn't solidify his starting role in the preseason. And so I noticed somebody in the comments was wondering where we're getting all the money from. So Joe, for Joey Hatch, just so you know, we're basing this off of moves that Kevin made in his article from last Tuesday where he did detailed five or six moves that the bills can make to free up about 50 to $55 million in cap space, which would give us a rough cap of about 41 million. And that was based on estimates before Matt Milano's and yeah. Tim settles uh, restructures and ex from settles restructure and Milano's extension. And go check that out on the Buffalo Fanatic site, of, <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, and, and we're thinking that there are obviously going to be a lot more moves to come. Maybe that's restructuring Josh Allen, restructuring Von Miller, Deion Dawkins, Trey White. So either way, whether we're right with our predictions or not, I think the Bills are going to have at least 30 40 maybe even $50 million to work with. So that's why, like Zach said, when we did this, we were all giving ourselves $41 million to work with. So that, yeah, that's, that's where the money's coming from. So to wrap up the offensive line here, right now the Bills have six linemen under contract. You have Deion Dawkins at left tackle, Ike Butker left guard, probably more of a backup though. Mitch Morse at center, Ryan Bates, right guard for now. So that's four. And then you have Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle on the outside. So the Bills typically carry eight to 10, going into the season. Now th there's going to be more. They'll probably have at least 12, 13, 14, get some camp bodies in here, undrafted free agents. But in terms of those high valued players, there's probably two or three spots left. So that's why I'm thinking you draft a guard, you sign that right tackle, and then you have one, maybe two spots to fill out for depth. And that's probably going to be more, <clears throat> excuse me, veterans like re-signing, Guys like maybe Greg Van Roten or like you said, Quest. Maybe they go elsewhere and look maybe a bit younger. But there's probably probably only three or four positions that are left open right now on the offensive line. But those are three or four really big positions. Yeah, obviously, again, because the Bills sort of have two starting spots up for grabs this year though i want to say for the record i think i speak for most bills fans when i say maybe questenberry shouldn't be resigned at all how about bobby hart no you know he's coming back just for the extra i just saw uh, the offensive line right here uh <laughs> yeah, Bobby Hart will be resigning from his position nope. with the Bills. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, real quick, before we get into the defensive line, it was pretty interesting. Sal Capaccio was on GR the other day saying how Bobby Hart was used as a second tight end a lot. So we're all thinking they're going to move on from Bobby Hart. I wonder if the Bills are going to look for an upgrade at tight end because we don't have tight ends on our list here. Because Dawson Knox is tight end one. He's 
signed for the future. You have Quentin Morris, who they were really high on, and then Reggie Gilliam. They could draft a tight end and try to use him as more of that pass-catching role that Bobby Hart just didn't have because he was the lineman. Now, let me propose this to you. What about Darnell Washington from Georgia in the draft? He's 6'7", 270 pounds. You can play him as that uh, six offensive lineman, and he can run routes. So I think, you know, taking him second, third round, wherever he's projected to go, would probably be best for Buffalo in terms of finding that tight end, too. I will say this. Obviously, tight end's not the biggest position I need. We're not really looking for a tight end, too. I don't think you need to invest significant capital into it. But Darnell Washington just seems like something else. If if they do draft a tight end, I would be more than happy with Darnell Washington. I would like that, but I'm more concerned about the guard and a wide receiver right now. So if they do it, it'd be like, oh, that's great, but what are we doing at guard? And, oh, that's great, but what are we doing at wide receiver two behind Gabe Davis? But we'll, yeah. we'll save that for more of the offseason talk because we're going to have a lot of shows leading up to the draft. So, okay, going over to the defensive line now. Starting with defensive end. Right now the Bills have four defensive ends with Von Miller, who's coming off that torn ACL, and then they have A.J. Epinesa, Boogie Basham, and Greg Rousseau. Do we see a fifth coming in here? Because really, that would be a fourth, because Von Miller probably won't be ready to start the season. Yes. So, actually, Bryce, you might have a deferring opinion here. Yeah, right I now, I don't have... Yeah, right now I don't have a uh, defensive end listed on my uh, free agent wish list, but that's only because I would like to see them draft somebody in the mid rounds. You know, you we're paying all this money for you know offense to give Josh his weapons or give Josh an offensive line to keep him on his feet. That defensive end may get lost, and we may not have the money to find or to pay the end. So you're going with the draft route. I'm like with running back. I'm tired of drafting defensive ends because I feel like we've just wasted so much capital on them over the years, like with running backs. And maybe I won't go as far as saying it's a waste, but maybe it's just not the best uh, allocation of resources, I guess. So I'm going to go back to free agency here. And I think Zach is too. I'm going with Shaq Lawson. He's going with Melvin Ingram. And the more I think about it, I might be more on your side here, Zach, if they could get Melvin Ingram for the right price. But the reason I like Shaq Lawson is that he's not going to command a lot of money. He knows the system. And I just think that he could hold the fort down until Vaughn gets back. I will say this. Shaq Lawson was my alternate choice at defensive end. And obviously, even... If the Bills do what I want them to do and sign Melvin Ingram, I wouldn't be opposed to bringing back Shaq Lawson either. I mean, that would be assuming that they maybe try to shop A.J. Epinesa like in the preseason or something, like move on from him. But like you like you referred to when we started the defensive end position, Vaughn Miller is going to be out for a while. He may be out till Thanksgiving. We don't know. We don't know how long he'll be out, but he'll be out a while. 
You need somebody that can come in, fill his role, be a certified game wrecker on defense. And who knows more about wrecking games than Josh Allen seeing Melvin Ingram coming at him last year, the year before, just when he was with Pittsburgh, he wrecked Josh Allen's game. When he was with Miami, he was pressuring him. He's one of those guys that's aged like a fine wine. And the cherry on top of all this, you go on Track. You can look this up. It is right there. I'm not looking at market value or anything. His last two contracts, 2021 with Pittsburgh, he signed one year, $4 million. Last year with Miami, one year, $4 million. So there's a trend. That market value is concrete. He has signed one-year, $4 million deals each of the last two years. The Bills could get him for that affordable rate. And he's still a certified game wrecker who would do wonders in a defensive line rotation because you wouldn't need him to be out there every single snap. You put him in there on passing to situations, let him run after the quarterback, and you got your Vaughn replacement Boom. Right there. Boom. Boom. Hey, you're a pretty good salesman. I think I'm sold. <laughs> Slap soda car. <laughs> yeah, I, I think those two are my lead candidates because the thing with the defensive ends, I feel like there's just a lot of washed up veterans. You could say that for the whole defensive line too, where it's just that weird mix where you don't want to recycle through guys who are in their 30s, you know, 32, 33, 34 years old and say, well, you're at the end of your career and you might want too much money for what we want to give. So that's why I feel like Shaq Lawson still has that nice age slash price combination. And like I said, he knows the system. He's been here before. But Melvin Ingram also fits that category because I know he's a defensive tackle. Just the first one that came to mind here. Someone like a Nadamakan Sue. You know, he he's getting close to retiring and he might say, Well, I have a big name, so I should still get paid accordingly. I don't want I, I don't want to take that route. So I want to try to find a, a cheap, smart deal here. And that's why I like Lawson and Ingram. And again, to further advance my Melvin Ingram agenda and in manifesting, just think about it. In the interim. Yeah, he's been a bill killer. He can't kill. He can't wreck Josh Allen's game if he's facing him in practice. Well, okay, I won't go that far. He could theoretically, <laughs> but it's better. Not to when have, it matters, though. Yeah, exactly. You can't wreck it on when it matters. And plus, iron sharpens iron. Melvin Ingram can again, like Von Miller, teach them a lot of things. And not only would he be a suitable temporary re short-term replacement for Vaughn Miller. Once Vaughn Miller comes back, you have double trouble. And that's when you get postseason time, get two QB killers on the line. Maybe put um, – you can rotate them with Groot. You could even have Groot in at DT or something. Make We're so at 8-6 last year too, so it's not like he played bad. Exactly. I'm just saying that, again, thinking in the short term of Vaughn Miller being out for possibly a significant amount of time, you need a game wrecker to replace him opposite group. And then when, you, when he comes back, there's nothing better than having 
more edge rushers that can wreck games. Yeah, that sounds pretty enticing to think about Greg Rousseau and Melvin Ingram on the edge, and then Boogie Basham and A.J. Epinesa behind him with Von Miller getting set to return coming off of his injury. And like you said, Melvin Ingram could make Spencer Brown better at practice. I mean, that would be a tall task, but yeah, iron sharpens iron. <laughs> if Von Miller couldn't, I don't know why Melvin Ingram could. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let, let's get back on topic here of defensive line. <laughs> so switching over to DT now, you know, we kind of teased this when we were talking about Ed Oliver. And like I said, this is all based on the article that I wrote about how the Bills can save money. And I went with them trading Ed Oliver and saving $10.8 million. And I found... I don't want to say a perfect replacement because I don't know how he would be here in Buffalo. And obviously I don't know if the bills could even get him, but it was looking at some different stats and just doing my research and stuff. And one of my new crushes is Chris Wormley, a defensive tackle with the Steelers. So what I tweeted last week was if Ed Oliver really wants to see the money, I think that should be elsewhere. If I were the Bills, I would trade him, get some assets back, save money, and then sign Chris Wormley. Ed Oliver's market value is $10.4 million. Chris Wormley's market value is $5.9 million. I'll take more production for half the price. So Wormley has been a rotational piece for his six-year career. He started in Baltimore, and then they surprisingly traded him to their divisional rival in Pittsburgh back in 2020. So he's been that rotational piece his entire career, but the one year that he was a full-time starter in 2021, he had 51 tackles and seven sacks. Both were career highs, and both are higher than anything Ed Oliver has ever done in his career. The most amount of tackles Oliver has had is 43. The most sacks was five. So based on those numbers, you could be getting a better player for half the cost. Hey, any if you can save money and improve, I'm all for it. I will say that I took a little different approach here. Obviously, the under the assumption underlying our free agent wish list, part of it was that we had traded at Oliver to free up 10.8 million in cap space. So for mine, though, I decided to spend a little less at defensive tackle and more so on just depth guys. Because, again, they have the D-line rotation. You want to keep people fresh. I brought back Jordan Phillips one year, two and a half mil. It's cheaper than he was paid last year, and he'd be a rotational three-tech with Tim Settle. And then, because we saw how important that strong one-tech defensive tackle Daquan Jones was, mostly, especially in the divisional round when he wasn't in there, I signed a depth veteran one tech, Linval Joseph, one year, one and a half million dollars. He still had a little juice last year with Philly, and I think he could just be that perfect place in his career where he's just looking to get on a contender, just be a depth piece, come in when you need him on the goal line, or is just to give Dequan Jones a breather, but not necessarily taking away valuable snaps from him. So all in all, total it was about let's see 
four million dollars in cap space used for two depth defensive tackles. So I went with Chris Wormley and I also re-signed Jordan Phillips. And the deal that I gave Wormley was three years, 19 million. And then I gave Phillips one year, 1.2 million. So not too, too much money, but I think Wormley is at that point of his career where he could garner a little bit more. I think his, well, yeah, yeah, no, like I already said, his market value, 5.9. Let me do some quick math here. 19 divided by three. That's right. It's 6.3 a year. So I gave him a little bit more just because I think he might be at that point of his career. Like I said, where if you give him that money and say, you're going to be more of a focal point of our defensive line, then we're going to pay you a little bit more than what you're getting in Pittsburgh because you were that rotational piece. So right now I would have Daquan Jones and Chris Wormley and then Tim Settle and Jordan Phillips as the fourth DT. So, Bryce, think, you have – no, go ahead, Zach. I was going to say, I I would be perfectly fine with Chris Wormley. Again, you get him cheaper than Al Alver with more production, and he could potentially still have his best years ahead of him. So I'd be all in favor for it. Bryce, what I was going to say was, I think you have a little bit of a different idea here. So tell us who you have in mind here at Defensive Tech. Yeah, so I have uh, Taven Bryan from uh, Cleveland. He spent one year there, had three sacks, 26 tackles, and six quarterback hits. I kind of went with uh, Zach's you know, angle and went for more of a depth piece, but it's a depth piece that can produce and produce just about as much as Ed Oliver did uh, last year. Now I'm getting him about uh, – uh, around $4 million cheaper than Ed Oliver is right now. I gave him a three-year $20 million contract. Hmm. And I'm sorry, he I lost you for only... a little bit <laughs> Did you hear me, uh, Zach? Or did I yeah, just I completely cut out? All right. And I think he's... Yeah, he's only 27 years old, too, so he's not... Uh, that up there in age yet, so he's still got some decent years left in him. Zach, what are your thoughts about Taven Bryan? Taven Bryan, I just remember him being the guy that Jacksonville drafted and kind of just flamed out of Jacksonville and ended up in Cleveland. But, yeah, looking at his stats, I think he he could be suited for a defensive line rotation. I would just be hesitant to give him like seven, almost seven mil a year. That's my thing. Now, I mean, Bryce, let me ask you this. Is this based on you trading at Oliver or do you have the bills keeping Oliver? No, I have them trading at Oliver, saving that $3 million and putting it uh, towards maybe quarterback or, you know, offensive line, just somewhere more worthwhile of, our time and money. So what would your DTs look like? So it would be Tim Settle, Daquan Jones, uh, Taven Bryan, and I guess a draft pick too, just later rounds. Okay. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. This is where he cut out a little bit, but did you say seven million for Brian? Uh, it's six point six. I I'm gonna round it down to six million though, just for the heck of it. Man, so that he has that big of a market value. See, that that's where I'm gonna go with a little bit more of a proven guy in Chris Wormley, because if we're gonna trade Oliver, you have to get someone who can match that production. And for as much as we talked about how Ed hasn't produced, Brian's stats really aren't there either. So at least with with Wormley, he has some numbers that you can go off of and say, okay. If this guy is given a full slate of a season as a starter, we would like to think that his numbers will be solid. So that's why I'm going to go with Chris Wormley here. He's 29 years old, still somewhat in his prime, probably has some juice left in the tank because he hasn't played a lot of snaps. So, yeah, my, my four DTs are, are going to be Chris Wormley, Aquan Jones, Tim Settle, and Jordan Phillips. Like I said, Jordan Phillips, I saw someone in the comments say that Phillips was hurt. True. But as a fourth DT, I'll bring him back. If he's healthy, he has a juice. He can make plays, and he'll probably not command that much money. Yeah, if Jordan Phillips commands more than more than $3 million, I'm out on him. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe even more than $2 million, You know, like if he wants that much, you got to be very, very delicate here because – I don't want to give Jordan Phillips that much money because of those reasons, like we just mentioned, and the people in the comments that were saying that he was hurt a lot, which is true. I mean, how much money do you want to give him? If it's more than three, I think you're definitely out. It's got to be something cheap, hopefully the vet men. Yeah, and that's why, again, I went with Linval Joseph because he's someone who at this point he knows where he is in his career. He, You can get him on the vet men maybe throw in a little bit of a signing bonus or a little incentive or something. And then just to, you know, in case he does have a significant role or does stuff. But again, trying to find cheaper rotational D linemen who can produce or find a role and stay healthy. That's the priority there. All right. Well, moving on to probably the biggest question mark of the off season here. What is going to happen with Tremaine Edmonds? Because I think all of us want the Bills to get Tremaine Edmonds back, at least by all of us, I mean the three of us. We're trying to figure out ways that the Bills could move some money around to get Edmonds back. And based on the moves that we made, we were able to get Edmonds back, but it's going to be tough because now it's kind of seeming less and less likely that he's back in Buffalo. But I still think that the Bills can get him. Yeah, I agree. I think... The main reason why I think the Bills will get a deal done to keep him is, one, he he's the hometown guy. He's grown up, developed here. He's McDermott's – Luke McDermott coached Luke Kuechly and Thomas Davis in Carolina as the defensive coordinator. Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds are his Kuechly and Davis here in Buffalo. And as much as we want to fantasize about – bringing in Bobby Wagner cheaper or bringing in Levante David cheaper or someone like that. It's going to be hard to replicate that chemistry in such, in just an off season, something that was building for five years. And what's interesting is somebody meant mentioned on Twitter. I believe it may have been Greg Thompson from cover one that it does seem interesting that the new extension from Milano 
extended basically saved the same amount of cap as it would have if they had just restructured his current deal but instead it at we added two more years onto his contract so the question is could that potentially mean something in terms of one of the moves that the bills can make like theoretically could that mean the bills are planning on extending Edmonds and that extension from Milano will keep them connected together for a prolonged period and I wonder what you guys think about cap value of what he could get because I had him pegged at five years, 85 million. So for average annual value, that's 17 mil. But Joe Biscaglia had it close to what I had it. He had five years, 80 mil. He had it 16. But we both well, had well, it where we set up a backloaded deal where his cap is like about roughly $8 million this year. So it's cheaper this year. It's backloaded, which is fine because Tremaine Edmonds is still young. He'll be 29 by the time a five-year extension runs out. Let me sneak in and say this before Bryce gets in here. I had Edmonds very similar to what you had, Zach. Five years, $87.5 million. Now, some people might be sitting there saying, are we really going to pay Edmonds $17.5 million? If we move the money around accordingly, I think you can get him for that. And I think he does garner that because he's only 24 years old. So you would think that his best days are still ahead of him because he had arguably his best season last year. And I think a large credit of that goes to Daquan Jones for being that true one tech where Edmonds didn't have to get sucked up by the blockers and he could actually play his middle linebacker position. So I think he's going to be a crucial part to this Bills defense. And that's why you want him back. It's just how much money is he going to command? Now, the weird thing here is SpotTrack has him with a market value of $11 million. I think he is definitely going to command more than that. I see him commanding at least 15 And I was doing some research, and the top five highest-paid linebackers right now are Roquan Smith. He got that deal with the Ravens. He really set that bar high. He's getting $20 million per year now. Shaq Leonard, 19.7. Fred Warner, 19. CJ Mosley, 17 million, and Foyseid Olowokan, 15 million. So those are the top five highest paid linebackers in the NFL as of right now. I can see Edmund sliding in between Warner and Mosley with that 17.5 average annual value and being the fourth highest paid linebacker in the NFL. That's really not that bad when compared to the other guys on that list. That value is average annual value is not ludicrous, as some in the comments might have you believe. I think with, you know, Tremaine Edmonds' age only being 20, 24 years old, excuse me, and, you know, his best days ahead of him, like you guys mentioned, I think he's going to demand, I would say, roughly seven or 18 to 20 million per year, kind of around that. Uh, Shaq Leonard and uh, Roquan Smith range. Now, I don't see Buffalo keeping him at that uh, price, especially because of the linebackers that they have drafted in Carolina and, you know, the amount that they've produced with those linebackers. All right, so let me ask you guys this. If we can't get Edmonds back, and I've seen a lot of people in the comments say that they don't want to pay him 15-plus, who do we like? Who could replace Tremaine Edmonds, who 
is the captain of the defense, calls all the plays out, and is just such a crucial piece that you would have to replace. Now, I will say, maybe it helps that Leslie Frazier is gone because maybe that's a sign that the Bills don't bring Edmonds back because they say, okay, if we're going to have a new play caller, whether it's Sean McDermott or someone else, maybe this is a time to get a new middle linebacker. I would say, okay, so assuming that Edmonds walks and whatever, I think it would be in the best interest of the Bills to get one of the better veteran middle linebackers, someone who has experience leading a defense with the play calling, but also is still in their prime where they can ball out. And that's why the two guys that come to mind are Bobby Wagner and Levante David. That's my short list. Someone you could probably get on a one to two year deal to be a bridge at the middle linebacker position. And then you draft someone to develop as a future successor. Can you imagine Bobby Wagner and Matt Milano together? Holy cow. <laughs> I know that that sounds like something out of a Mad- Madden fantasy team. <laughs> I want to throw this name in here too. People are talking about Eric Hendricks. He's only 31. I could see that too as being that that veteran player you get here for two years. Now, the one thing that I'll say about all these guys is that they are all very durable. They're still very productive. But the one thing here is the money. If you don't want to pay that much money for Edmonds, put it this way. Say the Bills offer Edmonds 15 to 16 million a year, and he says no. Or, or maybe, maybe they don't even offer Edmonds 15 to 16 million. Say, now nah, that's a little bit too rich for our blood. Would you want to give Bobby Wagner or Eric Hendricks or Levante David 10 to 12 million? Only a $5 million difference? I'm not saying that's what those guys are going to ask for, but it could be. So if you're going to shell out some money, maybe you do just give the extra couple million to Edmonds, who is only going to be 25 in May. So that, that's a hard problem here where I feel like you're either all in or you're all out. Because if you're going to go in the middle, you might as well just maybe try to meet Edmonds in the middle somewhere up there. I would counter that by saying, though, if you're going to try, this all depends on what they want to do. Like if they want to gear their investment more towards offense, you want to potentially have a few keystone key pieces on defense that can hold it down, hold down your core. Obviously you got Milano and then like Levante David or Bobby Wagner could be again, one of those really qualified Eric Hendrick too, a qualified veteran replacement at the middle linebacker position where you don't have to like immediately take a downgrade to a younger guy who may not have experience as the defensive play caller. And also I will even add this. The one of the things that could be a tiebreaker here for in Bobby Wagner's favor is that he was released from the Rams. Whereas Levante David just became a free agent. So if they sign Bobby Wagner, he would not count against the bills in the compensatory pick formula, which could be something that Bean wants to u- utilize more in the next couple of years. Well, let me throw out a couple of names that I put in the article for a couple of potential replacements aside from Bobby Wagner or Levante David or Eric Hendricks, because like I said, if those guys are going to want that much money, you might just want to give the money to Edmonds. So if you want to go with a very cheaper route here, Alex Anzalone with Detroit. He's coming off 
a one-year, $2.5 million extension with Detroit, and he had 125 tackles for them last year. Second year in Detroit, spent his first four years in New Orleans, and he's been getting better and better. He's young, probably won't cost that much. Zach Cunningham is interesting, too. I know he's coming off an injury with Tennessee. He did sign a four-year, $58 million deal back in 2020 with Houston, but he's a couple years older now. Like I said, he's coming off that injury. So you probably can get him for way cheaper. And he's a guy that when he's healthy, he's dominant. He led the league with 164 tackles in, in 2020. And then in 2019, he had 142. So those are a, a couple of potential guys that I like to fill that Edmonds role. Cheaper and younger. And I believe Cunningham was also released from the Titans too. So he also would not count against the compensatory pick formula as was Eric Kendricks, of course. Kev, you there? Kev? Say that again. I, you Kevin. I said that Cunningham, Wagner, and Kendricks were all released by their former teams, so they would all not count against the compensatory pick formula. Should that be the a deciding factor for being. This thing, man, it cut out again, but yeah, I, I think I heard you were saying Cunningham Kendricks and Wagner were all released by their teams, right? Yes. And so something if about you want to play comp pick, if you want to play comp pick bingo, those three guys are the guys to target. Okay. Bryce, what do you think about Anzalone? And I'm going to throw another name in here, uh, Anthony Walker. I've seen some people talk about him. What do you think about a couple of younger, cheaper Edmonds replacements? So I do like going younger in, uh, in terms of Anthony Walker. I like him more than El- uh, yeah Anzalone. Um, you know, he spent the last, what, was it two years with Cleveland? So, and you know, really produce there. So I'm thinking you kind of go that route or maybe a Devin Bush and, you know, go linebacker early in draft and get that replacement there. Yeah, the only thing with drafting a linebacker is that the the Bills window is open now. And I know that they would be a step behind because even a veteran is going to be a step behind Tremaine Edmonds just from that chemistry standpoint. But I'm not sure if I'm going to try to fill Tremaine Edmonds' spot with a rookie. I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? I, I've seen a lot of people talking about Jack Campbell, some other different linebackers in there. I just don't know. I mean, and they, they have Earl Bernard, too. And Bernard is by no means ready to take that role. So I'm sure they could find someone who's better than Bernard. But still, I, that's just a lot of pressure for someone to come in and be the captain of the defense in year one. Well, we So my know- only... No, go ahead. I was going to say, we already know how McDermott feels about playing rookies. He wants them to earn yeah, that too. Job. So, obviously, it's all fine and good to draft a Jack Campbell or someone, but they would have to beat out whatever veteran free agent that they sign at the position. So, why not take someone who may need a little refinement, sign one of the best mill linebackers of his era in Bobby Wagner or Levante David and let them be the bridge guy. 
that just seems like the something that they would do. So my only issue with, um, you know, signing a bigger name free agent linebacker is where you're going to find the money because you have all these players you have to resign. You're bringing in all these different free agents at different positions, and you still want to sign a, you know, a bigger free agent linebacker who's going to cost you a decent amount of money. And that's what I was saying with the Edmonds point. If they don't want to give him the money that he wants, how much money are you willing to give these other free agents? Because if it's only off by four to five million, you might as well just give it to Edmonds at that point. That is, all, that is a fair assessment, too, because, again, Edmonds has the familiarity. And I know some people in the comments were saying that people only talk about Edmonds's youth and height and traits. But he has come a long way from last from his first two or three years to last year. He excelled last year. He wasn't just okay. He was good. He was great in pass pass coverage. You remember what it what the Bills were like when he missed time last year? Second half against Minnesota and the very Tyron Dotson come in. I won't go that far. I'm not going down that trap again. <laughs> not on Twitter, especially. I'm not going there. But I will say that it just seemed like that something was missing from the pass coverage when he wasn't on the field. Something was missing from the run defense when he wasn't on the field. So to get to the point, if Edmonds does not come back, you need to find someone that can fill that void, if not upgrade over it. And I will say, again, somebody mentioned that Bobby Wagner and Levante David are better than Edmonds at this point in their careers. And, and probably will I be cheaper, a, too. Yeah, and they'll probably be cheaper. So once again, if you could get someone who is a potential upgrade a little bit cheaper, I'm all for it. And I think it's fair to say that Bobby Wagner and Levante David, they are in that class. They are two of the best linebackers in the league still at this current point. And I would love to have one of them on the team, assuming that the bills can't resign Tremaine Evans, but also I am just thinking about how bean would look at it and they like to reward the hometown guys. So I could see it either way. Well, I think that's a good spot to leave off because I want to get into the safeties now because this is also very interesting because the Bills could be losing Jordan Poyer. So those are two potential holes in this defense. And if they do trade out Oliver, like I said at the outset of this show, those are three holes on one of the best defenses in the league, at least by regular season standards. But nonetheless, safety is probably going to be a big position that the Bills are going to have to fill this year. Whether Poyer comes back or not, you have to look at the future as well. Micah Hyde, this is probably his last year. Damar Hamlin, we don't know what's going on there. And is Zane Anderson the only safety that's under contract right now? It's Micah Hyde, Zane Anderson, and Damar Hamlin. Though, obviously, we don't know about his status for the future. So look for the Bills to address the safety position a lot here. And like I said, there's a good segue because I'm wondering if the Bills could lure Tremaine Edmonds back to Buffalo by signing his brother Terrell. Now, I'm going to take it a step further here. 
and talk about Andrew Wingard and Marcus Epps because we were all in agreement here between these three safeties. I think this is what the list narrows down to here. It's going to be Edmonds, Wingard, or Epps. We could be wrong, but this is how I feel because with Edmonds, you have the connection between Terrell and Tremaine. Marcus Epps was Josh Allen's teammate at Wyoming. Andrew Wingard was Josh Allen's teammate at Wyoming, and he played with Joe Dana down in Jacksonville from 2019 to 2021. So they have that familiarity. And the thing that I like about all three of these safeties, they all haven't hit their prime yet. They still have a lot of untapped potential where they're 26, 27 years old, and it reminds me a lot of Jordan Poyer back when the Bills brought him in in 2017 where he was a rotational piece in Cleveland. You say, okay, this guy could have some talent here. Let's see what we have to work with. And then he popped off. And that's what I think we could have here with these three guys, any any one of them, whether it's Edmonds, Wingard, or Epps. But I think I have to go with Wingard here just due to the fact that not only does he have the coverage abilities and the upside, he also has the familiarity with Josh Allen and Joe Dana. I have to agree with you there, Kevin. Andrew Wingard, gets he got my vote because, again, familiarity with the new safeties coach, Joe Dana. And also I had seen, I had seen his name kind of floated around a bit, especially from Chris Trapasso from CBS sports. He did a off season blueprint article about a month ago or so. And he mentioned Wingard as a free agent target for the bills. And I'm just going to quote him right here and saying, he feels like the type of lower price free agent with upside, the bills would love to develop in a starter role. And I agree with that. The last time they did that, they got two gems out of it. Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. And the Bill and the Bills, McDermott especially, John Butler, Joe Dana, they can coach up the lower priced talent in the defensive backs room. Like we saw Christian Benford. He pushed Kyrie Elam start of the year. They can coach up some of these lesser market guys. So I think you can do a bit of bargain bin free agent shopping at the safety position. I had Wingard slated sort of a deal sort of in the vein of what Jordan Poyer got when he initially came to Buffalo. But I said three years, $12 million. That's an average annual value of 4 million, but backloading his deal allows you to, move his cap down to 3.3 mil this year. And I think I think the Bills could take that and run with it. However, the one thing I will say is maybe, considering that we're talking about Andrew Wingard as a possible value-free agent, I'm sure other fan bases have podcasters saying the exact same thing. And if everyone's thinking someone's a value, they may not be a value. <laughs> what do you think about these three guys? Talking to me, you cut out there. Yeah, what do you think about these three safeties? So I think Wingard is probably the best on this list. You know, he has familiarity with uh, Joe Dana. He's He was very good in Jacksonville. He's probably going to get, you know, a decent-sized payday. But if you're going for someone on cheaper side, it might be Terrell Bernard. Or, yeah, Terrell Bernard. Terrell Edmonds. Uh you know, two years, 11 million spot track hasn't projected to be at. He's 
probably going to be your best cheaper option. You know, he has that familiarity with uh, Tremaine Edmonds. If they do decide to lure him back that way, like you guys mentioned, you know, he was solid in Pittsburgh and, you know, same thing with Poyer. You can build these guys up, these young guys and mold them to be, you know, to play in the scheme you want them to. Do you think that Wingard would cost more than Edmonds? Because I think Wingard would be the cheapest option out of these three. I think Wingard uh, has played the best out of these three options, so he's probably going to cost the most. I just feel that Wingard doesn't have the name. Like Marcus Epps has a name. He was just in the Super Bowl. He was a starting safety for the Eagles. Terrell Edmonds has a name. He's been on the Steelers' defense. I just think that Epps is going to command a bigger payday. Edmonds could get a medium to bigger payday. And I think the Bills could get Wingard for maybe four a year. But I think it's more likely we're looking at like five to seven per year for Andrew Wingard. But I just, from all different standpoints, I think this one makes the most sense for Buffalo. So... Edmonds, the only way he would get the most money out of these three is, you know, name value and the fact that he was a first round pick. Because I, being a first round pick, I didn't see enough production out of him to warrant, you know, Steelers giving a big contract or drafting him in the first round even. So, and, and uh, they gave him a one year deal, one year prove a deal. And, you know, he still didn't prove enough to them. Do you have anything to add in here? Um, I'm just trying to find their stats so we can provide the audience with some numbers here that we were going off of. All I got to say is that, again, Wingard would probably be my preference, especially of the three. But Terrell Edmonds, again, if it's five and a half mil a year for him, I'm probably out on that. But I guess if they did re-sign Edmonds and wanted to bring his brother in. I mean, he could be considered. I don't know if Marcus Ops would be a type of guy that many Bills fans would want to consider, especially after that Super Bowl performance. But also, it's only one game, and it was a postseason game. So, I don't know. I would have to see more, get more info about him before I make a definitive statement. If you guys don't mind looking up their stats, um, I know Epps had 94 tackles last year. Wingard has been that rotational piece last year as a starter. Well, last year is in 2021. He had 88 tackles. Edmonds, I don't think he's been that big of a tackler, but if you could just look up their specific stats, maybe a couple PFF grades, I want to answer this question here. Yeah, so I going have... to be playing. Oh, go ahead. I have Edmund's stats up already from when you asked me about him before. So he has 70 combined tackles, three tackles for loss, two quarterback hits, two sacks, and uh, zero INTs last year. So just, you know, average numbers. Because let's not forget, he, whoever plays safety is going to have huge shoes to fill for Jordan Poyer. Yeah, you know, for sure. you know how they, you know how they say that the, uh, 
the worst job to be in is the, replacing the star player or the all-pro player. Yeah, that <laughs> that's going to be a lot of pressure for whoever's filling those shoes. But you just got to find someone that's at least competent enough to be a starter. And then, again, you have the coaches that can coach them up. And I'm not saying that you will definitively find the next all-pro Jordan Poyer type free agent, but just find someone who is serviceable and can be coached up. Well, for what it's worth, in terms of PFF grades, now Edmonds was a starter. He played more than Wingard this year, but <laughs> Wingard had an 80 grade. 79.9 to be exact, and Terrell Edmonds was at a 69. So, like I said, I think Andrew Wingard here is my lead candidate because he has a lot of untapped potential, and he has familiarity with Joe Dana. He knows Josh Allen, and I just feel like he could be Jordan Poyer 2.0 where the Bills could get him here, and he could really pop off and see his career take off, and I think they could get him for the right price. <clears throat> So in terms of this question here, are we going to be playing 4-3 or, or continue of the nickel 3-4? We still have no clue who our DC is going to be mind-blowing going into free agency. I mean, I, I think it's going to be Sean McDermott at this point. It looks like he's going to be calling plays. So I think it's going to be the same 4-3 nickel-based defense, two linebackers, Taron Johnson as the nickel slot corner, and then obviously you know the two corners, two safeties. Do you guys see it the same? Yeah, they yeah they they got the personnel for it. You're already built to do your base nickel defense. They're going to do it. That's their preference. Teron Johnson is their starter on this team. He's getting paid like a starter on this team. He's one of the best nickel corners in the league, and that's why he was paid like it. You don't keep him on the sideline just because. You don't keep him on the sideline just because you're facing a running back that requires a four three. A majority of the downs. Yeah, I think it would be kept the same just because, you know, we talked about this when we were discussing whether or not uh, Leslie Frazier should be fired. Um, whoever they bring in, Sean McDermott's going to run the same scheme, same system, same everything. So why would it change now with Frazier taking a year off and, you know, McDermott or someone else in house? Uh, calling plays. Before we move on to talking about the corners here, just the the official stats for each player, starting with Wingard. In 2019, he played in 16 games, started two of them. He had 30 tackles, one sack. 2020, he had 50 tackles in four games started, 13 total. 2021 was a main year. He started all 15 games that he played and had 88 tackles and a sack and one interception. And then last year, he only started three games, played in all 17, though, and he had 37 tackles and no sacks, one interception. And then in terms of Edmonds, 2018 was his rookie year. He had 78 tackles, one sack, one interception. And then he had 105 total tackles in 2019, no sacks, no picks. In 2020, he had 68 total tackles with two interceptions and one sack. 
He also had two picks in 2021 with one sack and 89 tackles. And then, like you said, Bryce, 70 tackles, two sacks, and no picks last year. So, like I said, going into it, I think Wingard is my lead choice for the Jordan Poyer replacement. Now, I do one last question here. Do we see the Bills re-signing Poyer? Is there any possible way that Poyer is back in Buffalo? No, he's gone. Yeah, I think for the mo- I think it's like 99.999999 continuing percent certain that he's gone. And the only reason I'm not saying 100 is because not even hand sanitizers or dishwashing detergent can claim that. <laughs> yeah, I think Edmonds is more likely to be back than Poyer is. And it's not even that likely that Edmonds is going to be back. So I think the writing's on the wall for Jordan Poyer. And I'll throw Devin Singletary in there too. Like those two guys, I kind of feel are the same where it's just like, thank you for everything. We're not leaving on bad terms. It's just best for us to part ways at this point in time. Yep. Okay. So rounding it out here, corner. I don't see them doing too much because I think Dane Jackson or excuse me, I think Kyer Elam is the one that needs to see significant snaps. I'm okay if the Bills bring back Dane Jackson, but just as a backup corner. This has to be Trey White and Kyer Elam moving forward. And then tying this in with the safeties, I wonder what they do with Christian Benford, whether he will be converted to a safety or if they will keep him as that fourth corner. But I like the idea of having Dane as that third corner. But regardless... I need to see Kyrie Elam as CB2 next year. Yep. I agree with all that. And I think regardless of whether Benford moves to safety or stays at corner, you should keep Dane Jackson as depth, as boundary depth. Yeah, especially with the, you know, the amount of injuries Buffalo's had over the years. And you saw how, how bad we were when Trey was out and Dane was out this year with a concussion, we had to bring in a bunch of guys off the street, Xavier Rhodes and a bunch of other guys to practice squad. So having that depth there with Dane Jackson, maybe, maybe a rookie would be great to have. So what do we think about Benford? Does he slide over to safety or does he stay at corner? Because if he goes to safety, you're probably going to have to get a fourth corner. And right now, that's not a hole on the roster. They're pretty solid. Last year, it was a big I, hole. And safety, you didn't have to touch. But now, it's pretty much the opposite. But if you move Benford, there might be a little bit more mix and matching that needs to happen. Yeah, I think Benford does move to safety just because, you know, McDermott's already talked about it. So, I think he does want to do it already and has plans to do it. You know, bringing in players in free agency and draft, I think it's already done. I think that, yeah, I would say that I think I'm about 50-50 on whether he actually moves to safety. But, again, obviously if he does, then you just sign another corner either or draft one and then maybe sign a veteran for the preseason. But Well, I don't see them taking a or, or signing a veteran corner, but Bryce does. Bryce has them getting Cam Sutton. Bryce, tell us about that because that one's pretty interesting. He has a market value of 7.6. So how do you see Cam Sutton fitting in 
with this uh, DB room? Yeah. So when I uh, put that on my wish list, I have or I had Benford moving to safety and having a spot open up there. Uh, Cam Sutton was, you know, he had a pretty good year with, um, excuse me, with Pittsburgh. Um, he's still relatively young to win and I think can play in a zone D. So having that uh, youth there, not knowing how Trey White's going to come back next year and, you know, what they're going to do with Christian Benford, I think it's best you have someone young there just so you don't have to see Dane Jackson for another 16 or 18 games, whatever it, it will be. So how do you see him fitting in between Trey and Elam then? Because I agree with Walter here where he says bringing in any serious cornerback will only run the risk of stunting the development of Elam even more. And if Elam was a healthy scratch last year, I can only imagine what they're going to do to him with Cam Sutton on the roster. So how do you see them balancing that between those three talented corners? You know, I that's tough, and I do agree with him, but I'll just say this. Buffalo loves their rotation at corner and at on the D-line. I see Zach rolling his eyes there, but it's true. They've done it for years. And just having the amount of depth they have now, I think will only, uh, you know, make them want to do it even more. I think if they really wanted to do that, you, there's better ways to do it than to spend $7 million on a rotational CB. I just think that if you're going to invest anything in the corner, you're going to want someone a bit cheaper. Yeah, I think like Walter said, they can just stand pat and really, like I was saying, address safety this year because last year corner was a main concern and they didn't address one single position at safety. No new player was brought in until this year when we started seeing some new acquisitions during the middle of the year. So I, I want to attack that safety position this year. Leave corner alone for the most part. Maybe you bring in a depth guy, undrafted free agent here or there. But I'm looking at the safeties here mainly. And finally, punter. We're all in agreement here. Sam Martin deserves to come back for a second year in Buffalo. Yep. Yeah, I have him signing <laughs> back on one year, one and a half million deal. He's... I said this last week and probably the week before on our Twitter space too. We need continuity at punter. And Sam Martin's been best punter we've had since uh, the early days of Corey Bohorquez. Yeah, I'm totally fine with bringing Martin back on a team-friendly deal. I don't think he's going to want that much money. I think the deal that I gave him in my article was 2.1, and that was just to get him in the top 12. So that might be a little generous. You could probably get him for, like you said, even cheaper 1.5 or somewhere around there. But regardless, I think you can get Sam Martin back for a relatively good deal. Yeah, and right now Martin's 33 years old too. Maybe even a two-year deal. But it's probably most likely you get him on a one-year deal. All right, so two hours, 41 minutes. We did it again. Uh, last week I said, you know, we're going to try to keep it under two hours, but we had a lot to talk about this because that we're trying to discuss here and maybe predict. So that being said, before we sign off here, guys, do you have any final thoughts or 
anything that we talked about tonight that you feel most confident about where if the Bills sign one player, we can go back and say, hey, Zach called it right here, or Bryce called it Sunday night when he predicted this. What is that this for you guys? Zach, you first. <laughs> I can already tell you my top two, Melvin Ingram and Taylor Heineke. <laughs> Bryce, what, what are your two most confident signings here that we predicted tonight? We lose Bryce, or did you lose me again, Zach? No, I think we lost Bryce for a second. Oh, wait. can you hear me now? Yes, yes, sir. You have the floor. Finally, I pulled a I pulled a Kevin right there. Um, oh, easy. I. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's true. But yeah, I'd have to go with uh, my top two. Would probably be Deontay Foreman and DJ Chark. Buffalo's been you know, clamoring for a tall, speedy wide receiver and Chark being six foot four, I think uh, fits that bill pretty well. I'm going to go top three for mine would be either Jamal Williams or Deontay Foreman, simply for the fact that the Bills are looking for that big bruiser to complement Cook and Hines and, and preserve Josh Allen's body for the long run. I like my Marvin Jones prediction, thinking that they could potentially get that veteran wide receiver depth on the boundary to solidify the position behind Davis and Diggs, And I really like our prediction of Andrew Wingard because he's Josh Allen's teammate. He has familiar with Joe Dana and I think his best days are still ahead of him. So those are the three moves that I'm going to be most pumped for if the bills pull this off where last year, I think I had, what was it, Zach? Three draft picks that I got correct. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it was two or three. I had, I think I had every position correct. I just had some differences in the players, but I had James Cook, Terrell Bernard, and Matt Ariza. So I was three for three out of those guys. So I'm hoping I can work some of that magic here with free agency, which opens up tomorrow at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Let's so go, with that, baby. Big baller bean, you know what to do, baby. Bring that title home for Buffalo. Get us over the hump. Bring in the players that will do it. And that'll be it for us. As this is Kevin Syracuse, Zach Vaughn, and Bryce Martino on the Writers Club. Thank you for tuning in and following along all night. Appreciate everyone who is engaged throughout the night. Almost 1130 here. So, again, we had a lot to talk to. But I'm glad we could talk about it, get it out. It seems like everyone was pretty engaged. We're still getting a lot of comments coming in right now. So, appreciate all of you. And, uh, yeah. About go Bills. <laughs> go Bills. Hours away. Ready for you as a look. But um, I don't know where that cut out. But either way, we're going to have a ton of content ready for you guys coming with all of our articles, Twitter spaces, different shows between Rico, Zbot. We're going to have the writers. <laughs> I think what did Kevin that cut was out trying again? to say was that yes, it, it did, did. Yes, and I think what Kevin's trying to say is we're going to have a ton of content both on the Buffalo Fanatics website and also on these airwaves, the YouTubes, whatnot, Twitter Spaces, as free agency frenzy unwraps. 
So make sure to stay tuned for that. And then we'll see you on the Writers Club next Sunday. Same time, hopefully less than two hours. <laughs> Won't happen. They always say. go to 45 yeah, or later. Smash the over on that. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for us. Thank you again. Have a good one. Go Bills. Go Bills. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.